0: Welcome to the TSN MMA show, UFC 249 is dead, but UFC 250 is apparently alive and well. The UFC is looking to make a return May the 9th at an undisclosed location, many of which are speculating will be the UFC apex in Las Vegas should the moratorium on combat sports change after April 30th, which is what it's currently set to. So we expect to see the UFC back in just a matter of weeks. Dana White said he wanted to be the first sport back. And uh, it looks like he is on pace to do so on May the 9th. Now the question is, why so soon after UFC 249 was canceled, are they trying to make UFC 250 happen? And are they going to be able to? Let's get to the first part off the top. In my opinion... I think the reason that UFC 249 was canceled, or at least the decision from Disney and ESPN to to ask Dana White to stand down and not promote the event on April the 18th, was because they were looking to do it on Tribal Land. Now, they would be well within their rights to do it on Tribal Land. They had Tachi Palace secured. But the big issue, I think, from a corporate standpoint, if you're Disney or ESPN, is that The optics of doing the event on sovereign land is that you're not going to be adhering to rules set out by that state, by the California State Athletic Commission, who said they would not be sanctioning the event, by the state of California in general, who are trying to have very strict rules in terms of social distancing, in terms of quarantine, and uh, are essentially on lockdown. And with those two things in mind, I think that when... I believe it was the governor, Gavin Newsom, called the higher-ups at Disney and ESPN and, and said, this is not the right thing to do. This is not something that we would advise that a company that you are in a broadcast partnership with, we don't think that that's a smart idea. We don't think that it makes sense to take your event and do it under auspicious circumstances where... If you're on the outside looking in, you're seeing a promotion trying to hold an event in a space where they are actively trying to go around what the state government is advising. And I think that that's why, and not to mention that Disneyland is in the state of California. I'm sure that the state of California have a a pretty deep relationship with the Disney Corporation. Now, May 9th, that is the next question. How are they going to do an event on May 9th that is being overseen by a state commission? And Dana White has said that he had a state with a a commission that was willing to regulate their event ready to go had they wanted to do the event on April 18th. I think by that point in time it had been a little bit too late for them to jump at that opportunity. But should the event happen on May 9th? I believe that the only way they can do it in a way that their broadcast partner at ESPN and Disney are going to sign off on is if it's done using proper government regulations with that state government being willing and able to oversee the event from a commission standpoint. So that's what my assessment is on why the event on April the 18th, tomorrow, which Tony Ferguson just made weight for, by the way, 155 pounds on the dot for absolutely no reason other than to just show people he could do it and maybe to uh, practice the discipline that would have been needed to compete today, which I, I mean, I think it's a crazy idea. I would never do it, but Tony Ferguson and I don't have the same DNA. But I digress. I think that the reason was that they just didn't have enough time to get it together for April 18th to do it with the proper state oversight and commission oversight that was required to make this look like it was above board. By May the 9th, they should have all of those pieces in place. And I think that if I were a betting man, I believe it will be held at the UFC Apex and that subsequent events will be held there for the foreseeable future that would feature American fighters. Everybody's asking about Fight Island and Dana White said that they were looking to secure an island, or had secured an island, and were building the infrastructure to host events. In my mind, I believe that the reason for this is because, and Dana White has said as much, so it's not just something I believe, but international fighters are not going to be able to fight in the U.S. because of the restrictions on travel at present time. That may change. But in order to have events that feature international fighters, they want to do something where those fighters could travel to this location, this island, compete there, and then are able to get back into their respective countries. Now, whether those countries will require them to quarantine for 14 days, like they're doing in Canada right now, if you're overseas or or outside of the country and you come back in, they are often getting hotel rooms for people so that they can spend two straight weeks there in order to properly quarantine and self-isolate following trips outside of the country, because that's their way of monitoring the situation for travelers. Now, whether or not that's going to happen to different international fighters or fighters that are going from state to state to compete uh, when when it comes to America, I don't know what the plan is there. The UFC can't really require people to do this because they are independent contractors at the end of the day. So they can make a strong recommendation that after competing, you self-isolate and quarantine for 14 days after the event. If they The the plan, from what I understand, is to test the fighters for COVID-19 before, on day of, and after the event. And if that's the case, I believe that is the responsible thing to do. But then the other question that I've been asked a lot, I've done some radio interviews this week, and one question that constantly comes up is, why does the UFC need to do this? And what's the difference between them doing it and, say, all these other sports leagues like MLS, MLB, CFL, any, any sports league that are taking more more precautions and are not coming back this quickly? And I think the answer to it is actually quite simple. Let's just compare it to an MLS team, for example. Let's say you're Toronto FC or Montreal Impact or the LA Galaxy, whatever. If you're one of those teams and you are always around each other, you share a locker room, you're training together, you're doing full contact training, you're doing full contact games... If one person gets this, everyone is going to get it on the team, or at least a lot of them are in jeopardy of getting it on the team. It'll spread. and We saw this happen in the NBA. We saw this happen in the NHL. One person gets it. They're kind of patient zero, and then it goes to other members on the team, other personnel, et cetera. We even saw Rudy Gobert touching microphones because he was laughing at how the coronavirus isn't that much of a threat, and then, of course, it became a major threat just days later. <laughs> Which was not a not a good move. And apparently Donovan Mitchell, his teammate, was pretty upset with Rudy's uh, brazen attitude towards the coronavirus. But uh, getting back on track, the difference between the UFC and a team sport is that most of these gyms are closed. The training that's taking place are taking place with very, very small footprints. Four or five people with a coach, a sparring partner, a training partner, maybe a strength and conditioning person, or a different coach, whatever. It's very, very small pockets of people. So should someone get the coronavirus at one of these events, it's not going to spread to the rest of the UFC roster. If you take the proper precautions, assuming that everybody acts like they have contracted the virus, which is what you're supposed to do if you're in a precarious position, pretend that you have it, you're going to self-isolate, you're going to quarantine, and everybody that is involved in a UFC event should do that immediately following it. Again, the UFC can't make them do that, but that, that should be the thing that you should do as a safety precaution after the fact. So if you do that, I mean, these fighters aren't going to be fighting for another three, four months after this. So there's no risk of them spreading it to the rest of the roster, to the rest of their gym, et cetera. Everybody is doing things in small footprints, small packets. And that's what makes the UFC different from a lot of team sports. Even the WWE. if The WWE, they're doing their events at their performance center in Orlando, I believe it is. But all of their athletes are still traveling back and forth home. They're, they're competing week in and week out. On televised events, and they have a roster. Everybody, while the matches are one on one, everybody's kind of traveling together. Everybody's going to be together in a, in a smaller space. And uh, I mean, they can practice social distancing all they want, but it, it's very difficult to maintain that kind of distance and to, you know, make sure that if someone has it, and these are young, healthy individuals, that they're not asymptomatic and pass it on. So the WWE, because they have the same people traveling week in, week out, the same events, they're actually a higher risk population than the UFC. Because the UFC, you compete once, and you can say the same for boxing. You compete once, and then you're on the shelf for three, four months, you can recover, etc. So it's a circumstance where if a sport was to restart, the UFC or even a sport like golf, maybe even tennis, they're in a position as one-on-one sports that they can do things in a safer fashion, and the UFC even to an extent is safer than tennis and golf because the same people are are competing week in and week out in tennis and golf. So if someone gets it, there's a chance that someone else gets it on the tour, whether it's the PGA Tour, ATP Tour, WTA Tour, etc. So that's why while trying to continue at this fast of a speed is not ideal under the circumstances and in the eyes of many people that are observers, That the UFC doing it is a different situation than most sporting entities. And I think that that's something that needs to be considered. It needs to strongly be considered when you're criticizing their move to come back. I'm not saying that it's the right move. Believe me. All it takes is one person to get the coronavirus. They come home. They somehow get into contact with an elderly person. And that elderly person gets it and they pass away. Worst case scenario. That can still happen. And that's still a danger. And I, we need to acknowledge that. I'm not, this is not me giving the UFC a free pass. Nobody's giving the UFC a free pass. They understand that, that this is a risky move. They have to. They have to do a risk and reward assessment. But in this situation, they might be the safest, at least prototype or model of a sport that can actually do this and not have a, a very drastic impact on what happens to their entire roster. As long as they're cleaning the apex or wherever they end up holding this, as long as everybody's practicing social distancing up until the event, as long as people that you know have a coach, it's a coach that they've been with during this time, neither people have had it, there is a safer way to do it. <laughs> I'm not going to say it's a safe way, but it's a safer way than, than almost any other sport. So we need to keep that in mind with the UFC. It's important. It's important to note. Because it's just a different circumstance than a lot of other sports. And again, I'm not giving them a free pass. I don't think you should give them a free pass. I'm not implying that by any means. What I am saying is that under these circumstances, they might be safer than any other major sport. Because you're not going to spread this through a whole locker room of people. It's a a different roster every week that's going to be competing. Different parts of the roster, I should say. So just something to keep in mind with the UFC. When everybody uh, is jumping on them, there is a safe way to do this. And uh, it's not the safest thing in the world. I mean, going grocery shopping right now isn't safe. There's lots of people there. People are wearing masks. They're trying to alleviate this. Maybe people in the UFC are going to be wearing masks at these events. They should. They should do everything in their power to prevent the coronavirus from affecting one of their fighters at one of their events. We've already seen the impact of the coronavirus in the sport. Eric Silva and his family contracted the coronavirus. Hodger Gracie has recovered from the coronavirus. uh, Daquan Townsend, rather, posted uh, this week that his uncle passed away from the coronavirus. Anthony Cozy from the New York Post, a colleague of mine who uh, I I had the opportunity to speak with at a lot of the New York-based events, passed away this past week. And um, may he rest in peace. He was a, a very, very... Nice guy, a consummate professional, a real pro's pro, as I, as I said on Twitter. Somebody who was very respectful of those around him. He, he knew that when he was covering MMA that he was you know, not really part of the regular coverage of MMA. He was not one of the people that was at every single event. And uh, he was always very respectful of the way that people did things at these events and would always kind of follow the lead of, of the people when it came to how to photograph these events. was always respectful. Uh, always had a smile on his face and was he was he was a New York guy he he was to me when talking to him he was a he was a New Yorker through and through and uh, just a good man and uh, I feel for his uh, his wife and his young children you can uh, donate to the GoFundMe for Anthony Causey and um, a very very sad you know the the UFC tweeted out about Anthony and you know, just a real blow to sports journalism in, uh, in North America. He was one of the, the top sports photographers out there. So rest in peace, Anthony. But, you know, we are seeing, even Rose Nama Yunus when she pulled out of uh, the event that was supposed to take place tomorrow, she did so because two of her family members, uh, not sure how closely related, passed away as a result of the coronavirus. So we need to keep these things in mind when we assess these situations. It's just it's important to do so. But uh, just wanted to point out the ways that the UFC are under a little bit of a different circumstance than some of these other sports centric entities. Now, taking a look at UFC 250, should this event end up happening, it's a stacked card. I mean, there's three title fights, headlined by Justin Gaethje versus Tony Ferguson for the interim lightweight belt. You've got uh, Henry Cejudo making his first title defense against the greatest bantamweight of all time, Dominic Cruz. That should be a really fun fight. I'm interested to see what Dominic looks like after a four-year layoff. And you have Amanda Nunes defending her featherweight title for the first time against Canadian Felicia Spencer. So uh, no shortage of great fights. And then on top of that, you've got Francis Ngannou versus Jair strike. You've got a newly formed matchup with... Anthony Pettis taking on Donald Cowboy Cerrone, at WEC throwback. You've got Jorgen DeCastro versus Greg Hardy. You've got Calvin Cater versus Jeremy Stevens. You've got Jacques Rey Sousa versus Uriah Hall. There are a lot of fights to like on this card. Now, for the remainder of the show, I've got two, uh, three actually rather interviews. If you're listening to the podcast, if you're listening on radio, I've got some uh, some other interviews that you, uh, you'll you be listening to. But I was uh, happy to be joined by John Anik, Brendan Fitzgerald, and Charles Jordan this week. And we have those interviews to come. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA show. And uh, we appreciate your patronage during this time. I hope that uh, you've enjoyed the different content that's been churned out on uh, twitter.com. slash Aaron or tsn.ca slash UFC. We really appreciate you. Uh, anybody who's been consuming this content during a difficult time, we're just trying to provide an escape for a lot of you, and uh, MMA is a great escape. So thanks again for that. I'm joined by one of the top Canadian prospects in MMA, it's Charles Jordan. So Charles, you're socially isolating. Tell me about your experiences right now. Uh, Are you living on your own? What's what's going on with you?
1: Uh, I'm actually living with my girlfriends uh, at her parents' house. They're super nice, they have a a big gym. So uh, I needed needed a way to, to still train. And, uh, man, uh, we have bench, we have uh, treadmill, we have a lot of equipment to uh, stay in shape. Uh, I'm a small guy, I'm a small featherweight, so my physical trainers told me, Charles, you need to use this time to improve your your physicality, because I I don't have like a Jeremy Stephan strength, Uh, yet I'm not like a 30-year-old-ish guy. I'm still young, I'm still building muscle, so uh, it's a great time for that, staying calm, uh, watching Tiger Kings, uh, everybody hates
0: Carol Baskin. I know that, that. and uh, you know, just just staying in shape. And I see that since you made that money off that big duo Choi, when you're starting to we- wear expensive clothes, that Supreme shirt. Show me your shirt. It's not Supreme. It's poutine. <laughs> and, and man, I
1: actually, man, even though I made uh, a lot of money, I'm 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 not a cheap guy, but I I don't have that much interest in the expensive stuff. Like I'm not gonna wear. Uh, Six hundred dollar uh, Gucci belt. I'm not. I'm not that type of guy. So, Poutine instead of Supreme. Six dollar, representing Quebec, Canada. That's a, that's a
0: great representative shirt. I, I think. <laughs> so you beat Duho Choi, who was at at a time one of the best prospects in the UFC. A big win for you in South Korea, no less. Yeah. How's your life changed since then? Uh,
1: it's the first time I realize. Like during this fight, it's the first time I realized how dangerous our sport is, and how everything can crumble in a second. It's the first time I get, uh, I got, the, I I did a little bit of a chicken dance. Uh, one time he hit me behind the ear, and I was like, it never happened to me, and I I kind of lose balance. And that in that moment I was scared so damn much because it's not my will that was affected; it was my body. So even though oh, I want to continue, if your legs are giving out, your body's not following, you're in big trouble. So it's the first time I was that scared and it's the first time I realized okay there are levels to the to to this and if I want to step uh, in the top 15, top 10, top 5 and eventually become a champion I have to make, make big adjustment because I've been training on my own mostly since I started like um, I never had like uh, real coaches that were watching tapes or this or that we were just training having fun having fun and then I I accepted to like sacrifice a little bit of fun and put more into it because I have the tools to become champion, not yet, like in a couple of years, but not yet, and I need to make uh, improvement in my training and, and the, the the my surrounding. and uh, uh, I'm super grateful for the opportunity I had against Joy because it, it changed me and uh, it made me it made me realize that being in the UFC is a big privilege and uh, I need to take it uh, on the another level of ser- seriousness I need to be more serious
0: that's what I'm trying to say seriousness is a word so you're good uh, I know that English is your second language but seriousness you can roll <laughs> with if you ever want to use that one again um, with, with, with that window you say you're, you're getting more serious obviously right now you're training on your own because of the, the situation but where yeah. are you planning on training going forward
1: uh, I'm going a lot at the Montreal Wrestling Club, uh, which is a place I I went a couple times, but I, I was like, "Oh, okay, I'm 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 getting destroyed over there." Those guys are insane, and I I and since I've been training there, all the guys they are all very high levels uh, wrestlers, and I have so much respect for the the, the wrestling community and their work ethic. Those guys don't have like a schedule. Okay, we're going to train for an hour. No, we're going to train 4 hours until everybody's like dead and they have a uh, crazy work ethic. And uh I'm that that's where I, I spent uh, a little bit more time and I'm I'm super happy to meet those guys and uh I thought I was training hard until I went over there and I saw those guys training like I said for like 3 hours, 4 hours drilling and uh fighting and uh yeah, so wrestling uh uh, I'm new in the wrestling uh, community over there, but uh, I'm seeing some of the UFC guys like Mirsad is going there, Arnold Allen, and uh, a couple of other guys, and uh, and uh, other Olympians, former Olympians, and uh, I'm uh, I'm uh, very impressed by, by by those guys. So that's like the main change I did, focusing more on wrestling because it's it's something to know. Oh, he's gonna shoot, but if you know uh, to 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 defend well against wrestling you you need to 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 sorry my english is barbarish <laughs> so if i want to defend myself in a, the, the 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 best way i can against wrestlers i need to learn how they think i need to learn how they attack if i just stay back and say oh he's going to shoot and he's doing a, like a specific technique i need to learn this technique to know how to defend it i don't know if you you you, you follow me on this one so, um, so yeah, wrestling is like the main change uh, I'm making uh, in my my for my eventual fights uh, against uh, other uh, other fighters.
0: Yeah, there are a lot of h- high-level wrestlers in the featherweight division, and a lot of people had said that was one of the the par- parts of your game. I guess that was your weakest. I guess you're acknowledging yeah. that, and, and you're working really <clears throat> hard on that.
1: Yeah, one hundred percent.
0: So what kind of fights are you looking for in the future? I mean, obviously right now is not an ideal circumstance, but the UFC is looking to return on May the 9th. If they pick up the phone and call you, are you willing to fight under these circumstances with, without getting the training that you, you would like to get?
1: <clears throat> That's a tricky question. I actually answered it in a, a local uh, journal in Montreal, and uh, I received a lot of hate from it. People were saying, oh, you want to spread the disease, you want some people to die, and this and that. And, I, and my point in the, the interview was... Me, in the position I am right now, I don't have a family. Uh, I don't live. uh, Most of the time, I'm just me and my girlfriend. And uh, we're we're just like, we we are careful with the disease, of course. But uh, I understand people's concern that say, oh, if you're going to travel, you're going to get COVID. You're going to bring it back over here and everybody's going to get it. So what I mean by being careful is the truth is the UFC called me tomorrow and they say, hey, Charles, do you want to fight? Uh, yeah, we're going to book you a, a flight or a jet or whatever and you're going on fight island of course I'm gonna do it because I'm not in the sport I'm gonna do until I'm 45 60 or whatever years old it's a tough sport on the body on the head on the mind and, and uh, I need to do it now because I don't know where where life's gonna take me in two three four five years you know so uh, right now I understand the situation but I'm in a situation me myself that I uh, I need to fight I need to make money out of it and I need to to uh, to uh, I need to fight so <laughs> if they call me and they say hey you're going to fight uh, I don't know Kron Gracie on Island, I'm going to say okay let's go and I understand like if my coach Fabio has two kids and I have uh, the gym and I have everything and say hey uh, for whatever reason I, I cannot join you I'm like I totally understand that and I'm not going to be uh, uh, pissed at you I'm going to say okay fine We're going to talk on the phone during the week. Uh, I'm probably going to go on alone or with my brother, Louis, and we're going to go. You know, two brothers just flying around the world just to fight. That's what we live for right now.
0: What do you think of this concept of Fight Island? I mean, you mentioned Fight Island. You'd have to go somewhere. We don't know where it is at the moment, but I don't know if you'd be able to fight in the U.S. because of the travel restrictions, but that's why I guess they're inventing this Fight Island concept.
1: I actually talked to my manager, Stefan, and he said that I, uh, I had a special visa, and uh, he said uh, the UFC could make arrangements and it would be possible. Uh, but, you know, that because I called him, and I said, because we are in Canada, maybe we cannot go uh, on the island. He said, uh, don't worry, if they truly want you on this card, uh, they'll figure it out. Uh, just, just take home and you have the special visa. But I, I, I don't think I have a special visa for this situation right now. But uh, he told me I had a, a special visa uh, that says uh, for work or uh, well, he explained me a little bit and he, he said, don't worry, if they want you, they're gonna get you. The UFC are are crafty and if they need you, there there there's no reason you 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 won't be able to go.
0: You mentioned Stefan. He was dealing with an illness before, um, and I don't know what the future of TKO is right now, which is his promotion. Mm-hmm. What what's his plans for this year?
1: Uh, I, uh, yeah, of course he was very ill. He had uh, a lot of health issues, but uh, it's it's going uh, uh, it's going up. Uh, when I talked to him, I, I saw him a couple of times. He's feeling great, like his skin. When the, when he was sick, I saw him one time when uh, he told me about the duo joy fight, and he was so pale and he didn't look healthy at all. And now the, the last time I saw him was like uh, two months ago, and he looked good. He looked in shape, and he's feeling a lot better. So that that I'm I'm super happy for him. But uh, for concerning TKO, uh, I think it was going it was going into the right direction. But you know, with all the crisis that going on, it was like postponed again. And uh, yeah, you, you know, I I think it's a cheesy quote, but life is a fight. It's it's, it's kind of true. You know, Sepanda has his fight uh, with health, and now he has his fight to bring back his organization. And uh, I think he's fighting well, and uh, he's going on the right path
0: the contender series is still likely to happen this year it would probably be at the apex but uh, has your brother louis gotten any sort of interest to uh, contend on that he's a he's a very high level prospect in canada as well
1: yeah 100% uh, louis louis is doing good uh, he fought he fought two times in boxing went 2 and 0 and he fought good guys and now uh, he was waiting he he was actually st- uh, supposed to fight in uh, uh dubai dubai or the other one yeah, I think it was Dubai. He was supposed to fight on the, uh, a card over there, but it got canceled for COVID. Uh, for, for for excuse me, for the situation that that's going on right now. So uh, yeah, yeah, the fight. He, he was gonna fight a guy from England. Good record, good fight. And uh, our plan was to let him have one or two fights and maybe get to the contender series or maybe to uh, 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 a real contract. You know, I don't know. Uh, he's what, six and two, I think, uh, as a pro. So he's got a good record, and if he gets two or three wins uh, in a row, I think there's no reason that they don't sign him. They saw me fight, and Louis is as as spectacular uh, as I am, and uh, he likes to brawl, he likes to fight. He even had the the fight of the decades in uh, Canada against Tony Laramie, which is another super good prospect. And the two of them, like it was a slugfest of two 18-year-old boys, um at t k o thirty nine and uh no louis louis has a chance Louis has so much potential at louis actually i'm not i'm not gonna compare them because they're two two different men, but i felt like duo louis is like a dual choice like super structured and he's know how to place his shot and when he hits you it hurts like i uh, i have been sparring a lot and uh, never nobody in my life hurt me as bad as louis or uh, Duo Choi did, so it says a lot about the kid.
0: And it was Louis' advice to you in the corner that helped you beat
1: Duho Choi. <laughs> yeah, he said you have 10 more minutes to change your life, so stop, stop, uh, stop, uh. like, I, he saw my face, I, I had, like, a desperation look, and I was like, man, I never fought a beast like him, and then he, like, he woke me up. It, it, it helped me a lot. I'm, even Fabio, Fabio was supposed to say the the the, the advice during the minute. And he just saw the connection between me and Louis, because you know we're brothers. We've been uh, with each other, even though we have our our differences. Even though we are brothers, you know we have conflict. We have a great relationship, but you know there's some statics between him uh, and me. We're competitive, you know. But Louis took the rein and he said, "No, you have 10 minutes to change your whole life." All right? And I said, "Okay,
0: you're right." And it it changed my mind totally. It's interesting how you mentioned Tony Laramie. TJ Laramie is another great prospect. You fought you fought TJ and he fought Tony. So it's interesting how that all worked out. Yeah. Uh, but, well, actually,
1: I, my my only, not not my only, my, my, I have two losses against uh, wrestlers. And one of them was uh, TJ, uh, like you know. And uh, I think he's doing good. He's fighting, uh, he's fighting in uh, Ontario, I think. And he's winning good fights. And uh, probably the UFC is going to sign him one day and, uh, uh yeah so the Laring brothers and the jordan brothers if we can represent the canada uh like like young beast man that that would, that would be sick because we're all about the same age so you know two sets of brothers from canada representing uh, our flag that would be awesome
0: well i'll say this he's doing a lot better than the other guy you lost to
1: yeah <laughs> my god <laughs> i saw the news I actually i'm not a big twitter guy but I, i'm i'm always seeing your tweets i'm, I'm more and more on on twitter and uh, I, I retweeted the thing you, you post about him, uh, that uh, he got caught again, and uh, this and that. And actually, my girlfriend's like a super stalker, and uh, she stalked his Instagram. She said, hey, his Instagram is back. And I went to see his content, and I thought he was doing good. And then I see the tweet uh, of him going back to jail and everything. So it's a uh, weird and weird situation, man. Uh, I don't wish him any bad, uh, bad thing. And... Uh,
0: it's something. <laughs> it, it certainly is that. Uh, well, Charles, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it, and uh, I look forward to speaking with you again. That win over Duho Choi, fantastic, and uh, again, continued success for you.
1: Hey, I appreciate it.
0: Thank you very much. Right, we are live with the predator, Patrick Cote of uh, RDS, my colleague uh, in Montreal. Uh, I know that things are not doing great there in terms of the coronavirus in Montreal. How are you keeping?
2: I... <laughs> uh- going pretty well actually you know what uh, i'm trying to keep myself busy i have a 3 years old daughter so she keeps me very busy you know i have to find some uh, new games every every around 7 minutes so uh, yeah i'm pretty busy but uh, i train every morning and i'm still working uh, i'm doing a couple of things with uh, with tsn and lds uh from home so yeah i can't complain it's good it's all good
0: I have one that's uh, just turned four years old, so I, I feel your pain. It's a, it's a lot. I've got three, I've got three kids, so I mean that's just one of the three. Oh wow. So yeah, I, I've, I've, okay. uh, I'm kept busy here.
2: Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. I, I'm sorry. I only have one. <laughs> <laughs> Don't apologize.
0: Don't apologize. You're, you're lucky during this, this time. You know, there's less, less kids <laughs> to keep occupied. But my, uh, yeah. my nine-year-old keeping my, uh, my four-year-old pretty occupied. So, uh, yeah. The UFC postponed their events. They were trying to make an event happen what did you think of them trying to make an event happen during this time during the time of a pandemic uh
2: why why they they try to keep it
0: yeah what do you what do you think of them uh them trying to make it happen
2: <laughs> but you know it's it's a money thing you know it's it's financial you know everybody knows that they they have uh to keep uh, the pace with the 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 show and uh they have to they have to put 42 show during the week the year to have the you know the bonus of uh, of money from the s p n so the contract it's it's you know a lot of thing with the, with the contract, but you know what it's i was not surprised by the the i was not surprised by 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 dana white you know but dana white he, he's the man you know you like it or you don't like it, but this guy is the right man to be in that position. you have to be a guy who are who, who is very stubborn uh who is not who, who doesn't want to to stay, you know in the in the road. you always want to go farther and always want to go out of bound And I think that's why the UFC is there right now. Not only because of him but you know what this is not my favorite character in the business, but you have to admit that this guy is is In the right place, you know as the UFC president.
0: Well, there's not an active fighter that I'm gonna be able to find that will say that they wouldn't fight under these circumstances because if I ask mm-hmm. them, they, they don't want to be on the record and say I'm a little bit worried about traveling. But you're retired, so I'm going to ask you: if you were active right now and they called you and said, "Patrick, we want you to fight in uh, tribal land in California," you're going to be facing whoever. What, yeah. what would your response
2: be? There's, it, it's different where you are in your career. You know, at the, at the end of my career, I will say no. You know, I was, I was okay I, I, I you know all my team was 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 okay and uh all set and you know I had money uh, I have money so but when you start in career when you start in UFC when when you, you you don't have you know the the pillow of of money just to to live for a couple of months for sure you going to you going to raise your hand and you are going to say yeah I'm going to go I don't care you know and a lot of guys a lot of fighters going to say that we already put our life in danger by Going in the octagon and punch each other, so it, you know with this with this uh, this virus, it's not going to be more dangerous. So it's not the smartest, you know, it's not the smartest uh, thing uh, to think. Uh, actually, <laughs> thing to think, but uh, you know, I I understand uh, a lot of a lot of fighters. I understand why they want to keep fighting because of the financial thing. You know what? It's not because you're in the UFC and. That you are a millionaire. It's, it's you know, even if you are already UFC, sometime you still you still have to work. It's it's hard for fighters, and uh, that's 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 what I think. You know, there's, that Joe Lauzon, there's a one guy. Joe Lozan went to on on his uh, on his uh, media, and he said that I will never fight even if they they offer me 1 million I will never go there to put my life in danger so there's a couple but you're right a major part of the other fighters that will go
0: what do you think can be done to resolve something like that because if you look at the NBA NHL MLB they make millions and millions of dollars uh, at least mm-hmm. most of the players do but it, in the UFC if you're an entry-level fighter you're making what 20 and 20 something along those lines so these guys need to fight in order to live basically, you know, it's, they don't really have jobs and if they do have jobs they're usually as instructors and all the gyms are closed. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the fighters are kind of, their backs are against the wall in these situations where they have to yep. kind of comply and, and, and fight if they're asked because if, if you don't, you're also <coughs> kind of in the matchmaker's doghouses.
2: You're totally right, and you know, 2020, it's when you have three or four fights. Uh, you start your career if you are nobody in the UFC at 10 plus 10. So when you remove taxes, you remove your manager, you remove your team. Doesn't you know you don't, you don't you don't have a lot of money in your pocket? And you ask me what what we can do to resolve that? The thing is. Uh, you know in every sport and it's not it's never gonna happen iron but in every sport when they wanted to better condition working condition they went on strike and you know what it's not gonna happen in uh in the mixed martial art because you know nhl nba mlb they don't care to not working for a year because they are millionaires. They can sit on their millions and wait and wait to have a better condition for uh, to, to work. But you know, MMA fighter they can do that. You know, and if they have to put, they they have, everybody have has to stay together and going on strike and you know put pressure on the organization. And that's that's what the other sport that the, the athletes they did before because. They were able to do it, you know, financially. But a middle fighter, they can do that. And you know, superstar who are um, millionaires, they are not interested to put to to to, to grab a uh, you know a portion of their purse and to put like on a security uh, account for uh, for a union that they're gonna protect the guy who, who fight fighting the first first fight in the in the prelim. So it's not gonna happen. We saw a couple. You know, tentative uh, action in the past. Last time it was George, it was Ken Velasquez, there was uh, there was Cowboy Cerrone, and a week after there was it's disappear. So you know what? That's that's the major part of the thing. It's the you know the share of the profit too. Uh, we know that you know in, in NHL, MLB, the share of the profit in NFL, they share profit. Equally or almost equally in between between um, uh, teams, so maybe the share of the profit more than only nine or ten percent of the UFC with the fighters will help the fighters to 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 to, to make a better decision in that, that case of the pandemic or something like that. But you know what? It is what it is. Nobody force you to sign the contract. If you sign the contract, it's because you're you're um, willing to. To fight under their their, uh, their condition.
0: Yeah, it's kind of a, a symptomatic of the system, and like you said, I mean, if if ever, let's say every UFC fighter on the roster right now went on strike, they'd be able to find people tomorrow to fill those spots. I mean, that's that's really the reality of it. And I, I know that the the quality would drop a little bit, but it wouldn't drop the same as if they replaced every player in the NHL and had you know guys from the AHL play in the NHL. The quality would be way different. But I I think in MMA if you took like all the best fighters from LFA and all the other regional scenes i don't know if if the product would drop off so much that people wouldn't watch it uh, do you agree with that
2: uh yes and no you know what there's a lot of good fighters around the globe but you know if you take you know the the mass you know in Bellator PFL uh even in ONE Championship you know a, a couple they have a really good fighters but maybe 5 or 6 you know, in the UFC, there's a lot, a lot of more better fighters. You know, in in the mass, in the organization, in the roster. So that that's what I think. But you know, if they're going on strike, uh, you know, it's it's not gonna be it's not gonna work if it's only the few UFC fighters. They have they need all fighters together to have you know a, a union. They're gonna protect them. You know, all, not only a uh, union to protect them uh, under the UFC contract, but uh, they're gonna protect them under every organization, and it's never gonna happen. But that's that, that that that's the thing. You know, if they wanna go on strike, they they have to all all fighters around the world. They have to stay together.
0: If you have any questions for Patrick or myself, please feel free to submit them uh, at this time on Periscope. Um, so, Patrick, one other thing I want to ask you is Tony versus Khabib. It, it looks like it's going <laughs> to potentially be back on the table when this thing returns. Uh, Khabib oh, wants man. to come back in September. How did you see that fight going? I'm curious.
2: I'm really scared, Aaron, because it, 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 there's a curse around that fight, okay? Uh, you know, like the three time, the last time there was Ferguson who tripped, on you know on the line on the street. Uh before that there was the, the Tiramisu story. And now for the fifth time we try to do it and there's a pandemia. What's gonna be next? Like a, a freaking meteorites going on the heart heart and planet heart and you know what it's it scares me to to try to put that for the sixth for the sixth time uh this this fight Ferguson against Kabim. It's bad because that's a fight to do but I don't know what's going on around this fight there's a curse and I don't know I don't know what's going to happen you know bad if if we we try to 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 fix this fight again I hope it's going to work one day because that's the fight to to do but man there's something around there's something about this fight for sure
0: Well, it's it's really strange because the first place to go on lockdown in the U.S. was New Rochelle, New York, which is like 40 minutes from Brooklyn, also. And that's where the that's where the card was supposed to happen. So even that particular area of the United States was hit hard by the coronavirus before any other area. And that was that was where the site was supposed to be. It's it's really quite unbelievable that this fight keeps having these issues, but this one is like unlike any other. I mean, we've never seen a global pandemic like this in our lifetimes. In fact, I don't think anybody that's currently alive in the world, whether they're 114 years old, the old world's oldest man, they haven't seen anything like this in terms of a global pandemic. Uh, it's crazy that it, it's all happening at this time because one month ago, I was in Las Vegas covering an event. The events were still going on.
2: Oh, yeah, I know. Even even if uh, three weeks ago in Brasilia, there was a UFC and uh, that was, a you know, with no crowd, but that was, you know, everybody nobody thought that, was, that would be serious like that. It's scary, man. It's scary because it's, it's nobody. It's a freaking invisible <laughs> enemy. <It's, laughs> that's why it's so it's so scary because we don't know. We we can't fight you know this this thing with our fists. We can't fight this thing with our weapons. You know we have to fight this thing with our knowledge and listen. You know people who who telling us what to do to stay in, in our house. And it's really really hard to to understand all this concept around the, that virus. Well, it's
0: hard for mixed martial artists too because they're they're wired in such a, a way where, where routine is really important. You want to be competing. I think they're just wired differently than than people like myself, where you know I I usually sit behind the desk during the day, whereas people in mixed martial arts are training all day. They're doing cross training. They're doing all kinds of different things that they're used to doing on a day to day basis that they can't really do in the same fashion during this
2: time. Uh, it's, man, it's 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 hard. You know, it's hard if if you are you know a natural fighter who who are. You know, scheduled to fight maybe in two weeks, three weeks, even in a month, you're supposed to be in training camp. And are we gonna be able to be 100% ready if you're not able to go to the gym to train with training partners and to uh, to be with your team and with your coaches? It's it's very 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 hard Physic- physically. But physically you can be well prepared. It's more mentally. You know, it's more like to be sure that you did everything right. And you know, it's. The thing is, there's no, <laughs> there's no sport you can be more close than your opponent or a training partner than MMA. So you have to, now you have to keep your distance. So I don't know how you can train. I don't know how you can in, improve your game if you listen. Uh, you know what we're supposed to do.
0: So you mentioned you have a three-year-old, uh, and you retired about three years ago. Was was having a child part of the reason why you decided to retire?
2: Kind of, kind of. Uh, for sure, that was the last, the the, the last thing, you know, uh, that you know, decide that I was ready to to move on. But uh, you know, I was after my fight against Cowboy Cerrone, I was really, really close to to take my retirement uh, because you know, Cerrone was the fight that uh, was supposed to put me in the top five and maybe have a, another run to a title fight or just prove to me that I wasn't uh, I wasn't at that level anymore and you everybody know what happened i got uh, i got beat pretty bad and uh after that i just decided to, to make another fight but i knew it before uh that was my, the, that would be my last fight everybody know that, that the story now but for sure i wanted to stay healthy i was well prepared to go in my after career life and i wanted to stay healthy and uh and you know physically but mentally for my daughter and uh, my wife, she's pregnant now, and uh, we are waiting for another one. So yeah, I feel good, uh, I, feel, uh, I feel that I've, I took the right decision.
0: Hey, congratulations, so when are you due? When's your wife due uh, with the second one? Uh, at the end of August. Okay, so you have a, a little bit of time for this to all blow over before it becomes like freaky to go into a hospital.
2: I hope so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, end of August seems like a, a sweet spot, which is good. Uh, so, which yeah. which middleweights and welterweights have most improved? Uh, have most impressed you since you retired, Patrick?
2: Well, middleweight for sure. Uh, I think you know Adesanya is just unreal. Uh, his last fight, a lot he received a lot of uh, a, a lot of harsh word, uh, you know, against Romero. But you have to understand style made fight, and there were two both. You know counter puncher. So if you if nobody attack against a counter puncher, nothing's gonna happen. Uh, but you know it's it's incredible. This guy came on in in the UFC. I think like not even three years ago. Two years ago. And, yeah, I yeah, think it wasn't two. Exactly. And he makes some progress so fast, and you know he took the UFC by by storm. You know, is it's is insane. He has the personality, and every year we 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 asked that, who's gonna be next? No, because I was George, Anderson Silva, John Jones, Ronda Rousey, Conor McGregor, and we're like, okay, we are maybe on the top of the food chain that we're gonna have a new character with the great skills, and it's gonna show something new. There will always be another one, and it's hard to believe that, but now it's Adesanya, and Adesanya is, is doing very well, with his uh with his mouth but with his skills too his fighting skills and uh it's funny what happened with uh, with john jones on on the social media now if you if you don't know just follow them and you're gonna see that uh, they don't like each other very much
0: well, you know, it's funny the the Romero and um, Israel fight reminds me a lot of the era that you fought in in the middleweight division because everybody loved Anderson Silva. Anderson Silva was like he was the man. He was a human highlight film. But there was always those stylistic matchups, whether it was like a Latis or um, who else am I forgetting that that he fought that where where they were just trying of uh, Tiago. Um, why am I forgetting his his name off the top of my head? Uh, the, the other guy that was trying to get him to come into his guard, where there were just stylistic matchups where there were stalemates. And then Anderson would lose yeah. popularity, and then he'd knock someone out, and then he'd get that popularity right back. I feel like that's what's going to happen with Israel here, is that he's going to get uh, his popularity right back.
2: Yeah, probably. Uh, who, who knows? Uh, the thing is, with Anderson Silva, so I think he, that was Damon Maia. Damon Maia was It was, was Maya who bad, I was too. thinking of, yeah. That <laughs> was pretty bad. But, uh, yeah, you know what? There's... The thing with the with with John jones now it's uh his his life is messed up and it's the problem with jones it's he just looked at he doesn't care he doesn't care at all, so that's it's most frustrating for people uh, outside hes the, we saw him and uh we saw him that he just didn't care about what he did uh he didn't receive any punishment, so you know at the Sanya just Going on him, go on him, go on him, and he's, he's trying to uh, to make uh, his attention. It works pretty well, and we know that uh, both of those guys want to fight each other. Uh, I don't know if it's going to happen, but hey, it's uh, if Adesanya want to uh, want to move up, it uh, can be it can be a very interesting fight.
0: So you're a member of the media now, and a lot of people in media got um a negative response for how they reacted to what was going on around UFC 249 a lot of people in the media you know people pointed fingers at them said they were trying to shut the the fights down uh what did you think of that reaction from from people uh pointing fingers at people in that are uh, i guess mma journalists
2: that they were uh they were, so sh- they, were they were mad that they was trying to to, to put the, this fight on
0: yeah, a lot of them. Um, yeah. A lot of people thought that they reacted a little bit too negatively when it came to trying to put on UFC two forty nine during this pandemic and pointed some fingers at them, put, you know, trying to get the show shut down and things like that.
2: The thing you have to understand that the UFC it's uh, an organization, you know, a, a show organization. It's not the sport. So their work of Dana White is to put fight on TV, to, to deliver uh, the 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 show to deliver event that they are on the contract and he didn't decide. It's not Dana White who to decide to, 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 remove the DFC. It's his boss. It's Disney. It's ESPN. So when he said that on camera, you can saw it, you can see it. That is mad. He's not happy at all because another one tell, told him what to do. But he said that, listen, uh, fighting Allen is going to happen. That's kind of crazy. I, I, I can't, I can't believe that I'm talking about fighting now but it looks like it's going to happen and it's not a new idea it's a it's an old idea from Dana White it's a new news but it's not a, it's not a new idea from from Dana White 10 years ago Dana White had this this idea of doing fights on the island and you know very like only that on that island and making like the Mortal Kombat one the movie like bringing all the fighters in one place and it's gonna be only that only there uh the fight's gonna happen but that was way before uh that was at the time that the fight the the the, the mma wasn't that uh popular like there were there weren't uh phil arena left and right so i i don't know what's gonna happen with that but uh you need you need to put people in the stand in, in in the arena and nobody's gonna go to the island just to just to watch <laughs> watch the UFC. Uh, it's it's not gonna happen. But uh, I understand the media that they were shocked, they were mad. But when you understand what Dana White is, you're not surprised. And his job was to put fight on TV until his boss tell him to stop it. And that's exactly what he did.
0: What's your fondest memory of being in the UFC? Like, what, what, What's the thing that you look back on that you're proudest of?
2: I, I love a lot of things, but you know what? I think that you know I fought for the main event a couple of times. I fought for the title fight. That's two things that I'm, I'm really proud of. It. Uh, I coached the Ultimate Fighter. I'm really proud of that too, that I was the Team Canada coach. But I think the, the thing that, I'm the most, uh, you know, I'm the most uh, proud of it. It's my comeback. When I came back in 2012, uh, after you know, after you know, not a nice run. After my title fight, I lost three fights in a row, and they kicked me out after UFC 121. Uh, You know, the the way, the road I took to uh, came back in the UFC was really hard, and uh, and when I came back in 2012. You know I finished my career after that, uh, you know 5 years later uh, 5 years later in the UFC. So I'm really proud of that that uh, I'm not not a lot of people who can say that, you know, they got kicked out in the UFC and they came back and they fought another 5 years and they went they, they went to another great run especially in my new weight class at 170 so that's I think that's that's the thing that I'm most proud of it.
0: You should be proud of that. You're right. There are so few that once they leave the UFC Are willing to go back to the regional scene, work hard, and get back and and be able to do it as well. A lot of the people when they when they go to the UFC, you see them lose afterwards because they're so uh, disheartened by the fact that they got released by the UFC. This was their dream, and then they had to find find a way back. But it's hard. It's hard to refocus your energy when you feel like you're going to be facing a lesser opponent. So yeah, definitely kudos to you on that. That that was very difficult to do. And I I mentioned Talos Leites before. He's another guy that was able to do that. But there are there are very few examples in recent years.
2: Yeah, yeah, you're you're right, and you know that's that, that was hard. You know, I t- when they I received my pink slip after the UFC 121, uh, uh, it was really hard. I had 30 years old, so I was I wasn't that young. I wasn't old, but I wasn't that young to to try to make another run to to get back in the UFC. But you no, know, I took three months off, and when I came back to the to the gym, I was like, okay, let's do it again. Let's try to to get back. Uh, on the winning street. and uh, I, and I was I was still working as the UFC commentary, at the French uh, broadcasting with with them, and uh, I was talking to Joe Silva almost every every week. I was like, "What I have to do? What I what I have to do to I have the call back?" And he said, "Just win and finish your opponent." I was like, "Okay." So I went to the four win streak with two uh, two knockouts, and uh, my last fight went a a uh, knockout uh, uh Gustavo Machado in Brazil. Uh, I got the call to to fight Kang Lee, so uh, this, that was uh, that was really really nice, and uh, that's why I'm proud of it.
0: You coached on The Ultimate Fighter, and when you look at that season, so many of these guys have been released. Like uh, I think Sheldon Westcott <laughs> might be the only one left on the that's from the show, and he hasn't fought in like yeah. four years.
2: Yeah. Uh, I know. I don't I don't know what's going on with uh with Sean. Uh, I think the no, but uh yeah, in, in my team, yeah, you're right. But uh in, in uh Australian team, I think yeah, uh Jake, Jake Matthews Match is, yeah. is still there, but it's the only one, you're right. Uh there was Elias Theodore, the last one from uh it's that was Elias or Olivier or whatever. Uh but uh yeah, it's uh I don't know what's going on with with Sean, but uh that was you know Talking about Tough Nation, that was that was awesome. If they ask me to do it again, they they will not. But I'll do it again. You know, coaching that that was amazing. I was with my coaching staff, my friends, and uh, you know, we it went pretty well for us. You know, we we won we won the season. We won the middleweight and the welterweight. Uh, the welterweight season. I won against uh, Kai though. so that was kind of almost a perfect season for Team Canada.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right. It seemed like all the uh, all the Australians were losing, and all the Canadians were winning for a time during that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Olivier is off to the PFL. Uh, Chad Laprise got released. Um, as you mentioned, Elias got released, so it's tough to see that because a lot of those guys are so talented. And then you even look at uh, more recently, Brad Katona, who was the first Canadian to ever win yep. like a regular season of the Ultimate Fighter. He got released, so I don't know. Like you said, I don't know what's going on if uh, if the Canadians are somehow rubbing people the wrong way with our brash attitudes and our and our uh, our our, <laughs> our uh, flaunting demeanor.
2: Yeah, I don't know, but you know the thing is, it's it's hard now. To have you know the the you know some young guys who try to to develop the the, the next big thing you know now we have Charles Jourdain, we have Marc-André Barrio Barriot. Uh, we don't know if if those guys are gonna be able to go on the higher level uh, on on the on the UFC they have the they have skills but uh, we don't know and we don't have you know a great or good organization in Canada I think so especially in Quebec to help. The young guy to develop their skills in MMA, and that's the biggest thing here in Canada. We uh, it's really hard to to find a good place to develop some young guys to fight, and to, they have exposure. They have a window uh, on the web or on TV to to that, that the people can watch them and to to build like their character after uh, around their their fighting skills. So it's 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 gonna be uh I don't know, but I think uh. It's going to be a long time before we can see another uh, another George St. Pierre or something like that.
0: <laughs> Who do you think is the best hope for the Canadians to, uh, to potentially be a future champion? I mean, I know Felicia Spencer's got a title shot if things happen in about a month. But uh, are there any other Canadians on your radar that you think could make a lot of noise?
2: I don't know. Seriously, the the one I know... I'm the closest one it's uh Charles Jordan because he's he's, he's training with my team now with the uh, Brazilian top team uh, he has the skills he's a young guy uh he has a lot of a lot of skills but I don't know if he has the right mentality to uh, to go further in this fight he just you know he, he came from uh he came back from Korea with a big big win against Duo Choi and uh he has to be uh he has to be careful around that because now he want to fight Cum Swanson. He wanted to fight Edson Barboza. I was like, hey, take it easy, bro. Because before he knocked out Choi, he got dropped twice. So, you know what? It's uh, For sure, after a big fight like that, you are in a wave of, you know, of you, you, you think that you can beat everybody. But he's young. He has to build, you know, something good around him. I'm trying to tell him, you know, a couple of good things, good couple of good advice uh but you know it's uh he has a skill for sure but we didn't see if he has the right mentality
0: i'm excited to see what his brother louis can do as well louis is a, a good up-and-coming prospect still very young
2: still young but there's nowhere to fight <laughs> that's the thing that's that's the problem that's what i was saying there's nothing there's tko is over uh that was new era new era is under uh uh, uh, under the, the the commission to have the, uh, their license, but they can do another show uh, it, It's hard here in Quebec. There's there's no show. So what we can do
0: is TKO done I mean, I know that uh, Stefan shut it down temporarily because he had health problems, but are they shut down now?
2: Listen uh, My mother always tell me that if you don't have good thing to say don't say anything <laughs> uh, But Seriously, uh, I don't know. There's um uh, you know TKO is. I always say that TKO, the organization has to be there for the young talent, for to to prepare. You know the next big thing. The problem it's the guy behind that. Uh, is not honest. He's uh he's a really uh, he's a really bad man for the business and for the fighters too. He's a liar, and that's the problem with with those those fighter because uh. That it was on the only place to fight, and you know the the fighters was were kind of uh, kind of looking down just to just to, to be able to fight. Uh, you know what I mean? Just just to accept stupid thing because that was the only place to fight. So I hope TKO is gonna come back, but I hope it's gonna be under another man behind that.
0: Have you heard anything like that? That TKO could be under new leadership at some point?
2: No, I don't think so. I don't think nobody want to take TKO in their depth. I think if something uh, happened, it's going to be a new uh, a new organization with a new name. And I hope uh, you know a good promoter, a honest promoter who's uh, are who are p- paying his fighters. What about you?
0: You could do it. You got a you got a good good relationships with these kids in Quebec. They all look up to you.
2: Oh. For sure, new era. Is, uh, new- I try to help new era actually. Uh, there's uh, under the group gym, and uh, my friend is, uh, is kind of the president of uh, of the, the new era. But uh, it's no, I, I don't want to do that. Uh, I know it's really really hard. It, uh, it's um, I don't have time first to do that. But it's not something that uh, that I'm willing to do. Uh, it's not for me, for, for me, for myself, it's not working, uh, you know, to spend a lot of money like that. I know, I know that, uh, a lot of people try, a lot of people think that when you start an MMA organization, you're going to make money. You know, you don't, you don't make money. Uh, if you are big, it's going to take time. Maybe you're going to, you're going to make money, but at the beginning, it's, it's, it's not going to happen. So for me, I, I'm not interested to do that. I hope somebody who are passionate and have money <laughs> uh, will, will do one day. But, uh, but we'll see. Our best hope right now is it's a new era.
0: Yeah, it sounds like a nightmare. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I mean, D- Daniel Cormier said uh, you'd ha- you'd be crazy to turn down the job of being the president of the UFC. There's no money you could pay me to be the president of the UFC. There's no way I would want to sacrifice that much of my life <laughs> towards making these, uh, putting out these fires like Dana White does. I don't know how he
2: does it. That yeah, that's exactly what I said at the beginning. Dana White, you're liking you like him, or you don't like him, but he's doing a tremendous job uh, on this really crazy job he has. Yeah, you have, you know, tons and tons of cash, millions of millions of cash. But, you know, the sport and the organization is there today. He's a major part of that because of that, because he's always in front of the of the, the organization. Always protect the organization and is not scared to answer to anybody and uh, he's, he's a really stubborn and you have you need somebody like that.
0: Yeah, Dana White's the type of guy where you can say you can either dive into the deep end or you can walk into the shallow end and he'll say, Why can't I just dive into the shallow end? Yeah. <laughs> pretty much yeah <laughs> he's always finding he likes the chaos he embraces it which you got to appreciate like you said you need that kind of person running your show because you need to, you need to have answers it's so interesting yep. the, the difference in demeanor between guys like him and uh, scott coker like scott coker seems so even keel and like pragmatic and dana white's just like you know he he's like he likes to embrace the chaos and create and create these kind of situations for him because i think he just has fun with it i think he he enjoys it more than just like taking that kind of even keel approach
2: yeah, I think so too. I think so too. I, uh, you know what, the thing about uh, about the Scott Coker, I never heard something bad about this guy. I don't know him personally, but everything, every time I read something about Scott Coker from fighters, he's always he's always a good guy. He's always take care, uh, very good uh, of the of the of the fighters. So, I don't know. I don't know him personally. Uh, I never went to a Bellator event, too. So, I don't know. But they are very two different characters. And uh, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty shocking that they are very different.
0: Well, Patrick, I really appreciate this. Uh, hopefully, people are checking out your great work on RDS if you're in Canada. Um, I know it might not be in English, but if you understand French, you should check it out. Because it's, it's very insightful. Yourself and uh, Benoit Baudouin are uh, doing a great job yeah. over there.
2: So, I just want to say appreciate your time and thank you for doing this. Hey, thank you very much. Happy Easter. I know that was uh, yesterday, but it doesn't matter. No, it's today stay too, home. Easter Monday. Okay, so <laughs> stay home, stay safe, and I hope to see you again.
0: It is Coffee in Combat. I'm here with uh, John Anik. You know, John, I couldn't wait, uh, How? what is it, two, three weeks until I, I heard your voice, so I wanted to have you on.
3: Ha! It, it's good to be with you, man. It's cool to sort of watch your rise uh, journalistically. I bet your family's probably happy to have you home for... Uh, uh, a little bit, given the schedule that, that we all keep, you know.
0: Yeah, the uh, the lack of travel is certainly something that they're not complaining about. But, you know, I'm I'm, I'm here summoned to the basement. Uh, that, that's where my huh. office is for a couple hours a day. And uh, yeah. we just go from there.
3: No, it's good. I, I enjoy breaking away at, from the distance learning and the homeschooling every now and again to sort of get back into a more normal realm, talking to guys like you and, and getting ready, hopefully, hopefully, for UFC 249 here in three weeks, you know.
0: So if I recall, you're based in Florida. Is that right?
3: Yes, I am in South Florida. You know, I I have to, like, dodge bullets every time I say that I live in Florida. I am not from here. I never could have imagined that I would raise my kids down here, but my entire family's down here. Twin brother lives three miles away. My mom is here. So we're here for family. Initially, we moved here in park because I was doing about seven shows a year in Brazil. So that was another part of the move to Florida. Um But, uh, yeah, man, I don't know that this state has been as progressive in terms of getting ahead of this thing and social distancing as others. So uh, I'm hoping we're not in for the worst of it, but that's kind of my fear at this point.
0: Well, I mean, they they have deemed sports to be an essential service, and you might be part of that essential service. And uh, I don't know what's going to happen on May 9th, but I would have to imagine Florida's a possibility.
3: I think it's a possibility. I tend to doubt that Florida will be the ultimate destination. You know, again, if I piggyback on what I just said, I'm not sure that we're on a great trajectory right now as a state. And I don't know that we would be in a better place May 9th than we are as I sit here talking to you on April 16th. I think most of us hope it's Nevada. And that probably sounds crazy coming from a Floridian who would love nothing more than to drive to the show. But I think big picture for a lot of us, when we rip off this Band-Aid and go back to work, whether it's airplanes or cars or trains or whatever it is, we're going every week probably for the rest of the year. So whenever that happens, I'm, I'm trying to condition mind and body uh, to the fact that I might be going to Vegas and not coming home for three or four weeks.
0: Yeah, that, that would have to be a distinct possibility because it looks like they are going to start doing some shows perhaps even during the week.
3: Right. I mean, we obviously have been in situations before where we've done back to back shows on Friday and Saturday night. One year we did Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and I called the Thursday and Friday shows that weekend. The back to back nights are a little intense, especially when you're talking about a full 12 or 13 fight card. But Certainly, if you were to have a show on a on a Saturday and then do a Wednesday show, we used to do all those FS1 Wednesday shows. I think that's doable. I think for us, it's just about having enough time to voice, to prepare. uh, So we need at least 48 hours, if at all possible, between shows.
0: So I've got to ask just as uh, somebody who goes to South Florida once a year with this whole, you know, social distancing, uh, quarantining, have the drivers gotten worse or better? Because The drivers there are just abhorrent.
3: Well, I wish I could tell you they are really bad. I got to say, though, Santiago Ponzanibio, that guy's got to stop texting and driving. I see him on the road all the time. He's looking down at his phone. But drivers down here uh, leave a lot to be desired, obviously. I wish there were fewer of them on the road right now, given uh, what our government is telling us to do. Uh, but, yeah, man, it's uh, it's dodgy down here for sure. And I do think it's it's really it's the young people as much as it is the elderly, right? We all like to bang on the elderly. And uh, certainly when you go to run... What should be a short-timed errand down here, sometimes it takes a little bit longer because the general population might be a little bit older, a little bit slower. To me, though, it's the kids. These kids look like they're 14 years old looking down at their cell phones, still trying to operate a motor vehicle. So uh, thankfully I've been home for a few weeks and and have stayed away from that noise. But, uh, yeah, man, it can be pretty icy out there.
0: And if you get one of those red lights, like a three-minute drive becomes like an eight-minute drive. It's the worst.
3: The truth, man, those are two, (laughs) two two-and-a-half, three-minute lights. There's no doubt about it.
0: So uh, I, I take it that you don't love it down there? You don't, you're don't. you not uh, loving living in South Florida?
3: <laughs> I don't dislike it as much as my twin brother. Uh, and certainly there are benefits, especially when you're quarantined right now. I mean we have a pool that is finally fixed. So my kids are, are running clock in the pool at least a couple hours a day. We can be outside. The beaches are not at our disposal right now. But I love that part of it. The beaches are five miles away and everything else – but, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't. I never envisioned raising my kids down here. I'm a Northeast guy, uh, and I think a lot of your audience and certainly your Canadian audience can, uh, can relate to growing up that way. I thought my kids would grow up hardened with snow and cold, and I don't know. It's just a little bit of a different vibe down here. So I think you have a, the right read on it. I'm not in love with Florida, but I can't say I'm in any great rush to move out of here either because that sun does shine about 335 days a
0: year. Yeah, a lot of our Canadians brought the coronavirus back to Quebec with them from uh, from Florida a lot of the snowbirds
3: yeah I can imagine and I, and I know all the New Yorkers are coming down here and presumably bringing it with them so uh, yeah it's not ideal really in any pocket of the world right now my man
0: so with the UFC coming back on May 9th um, I'm sure you've got to be ecstatic because this is gonna be two straight months where you're not calling an event like how, how are you dealing with that
3: Yeah, I mean, there have been some crazy stretches over the year, Aaron, where we've done like five in six weeks and maybe to an NFL play-by-play guy who does 17 straight Sundays. That doesn't sound like a lot, but I know you have a respect for all that our show entails, seven hours on a headset and 26 fighters to learn and master and give your ultimate time and respect. So uh, yeah, we're jonesing to get back out there. You know, I never envisioned taken more than two weeks off in a row it's rare for me to have more than two Saturdays where I'm not working an event so yeah man I think we're all anxious to contribute uh we're anxious to get out of our homes but more than anything else um just anxious to to get back to work I I think for a lot of us this has been eye-opening in terms of that recreational time that we've never really had and what do you do with it and certainly most of the energy and time is invested in your kids but uh I don't know, man. I do not want to be the guy who's not working. Retirement doesn't sound nearly as enjoyable having gone through this experience.
0: Well, you're in Florida. so You're already halfway there. uh, I'm halfway there, yeah. Uh, But what a lot of people don't understand is what goes into your job. You know, a lot of people think, oh, John just shows up at the arena on a Saturday, and he sits in front of a mic, and he calls the event. Uh, Walk walk people through what a fight week looks like for you, because I think that they would probably have a a much uh, higher respect for what goes into your your uh, line of work.
3: Yeah, I mean a pay-per-view week I think is the best starting point because that is the most cumbersome and it's a process that can start as many as 12 days out where I will get the combo features, the the pre-fight intros that you hear in the arena and I will edit those and on this very headset and this very computer I will lay those to tape. Uh, obviously there are fights that change all the time so so those voiceovers is is an ever-evolving process. Uh, And then my fighter cards is really sort of the most arduous part of my process, anywhere from probably 16 to 20 hours total. And I do a new fighter card for every fight. I cheat off the old one a little bit, and then I repurpose that, either give it to a fan or throw it away. But uh, I was just diving into the 249 prep when it looked like April 18th was going to go down. I had prepped about half the card. All the voiceovers were done. But we pre-voice fewer elements now than we did a few years ago. You know, There was a time when we were pre-voicing a lot of stuff. It has become less and less because it is my preference as a play-by-play guy to do as much of this stuff live as humanly possible. But there's a lot that goes into it, a lot of film study. My process has evolved a lot since 2012, but uh, those fighter cards are a bear, man. I'm not going to lie to you.
0: So that very desk that you're at right now is where you do a lot of your voiceovers, where you do uh, the Anakin Florian podcast. This is where all the magic happens.
3: This is where all the magic happens. And just to give you some insight, you know, here are my Marlon Marlon Vera and Ray Borg fighter cars. We were getting ready, obviously, for UFC uh, 249. So some of that preparation is done, right? Like a lot of my Ferguson Gaethje prep is done. And now we know both of those fighters have verbally agreed to fight for the interim title on May 9th. But I'll have to go go back and redo a lot of that because I don't have that steel trap memory. So you don't you can't get too far ahead of it uh, that you forget some of the details and notes you've taken. But uh, I won't lose all of the prep that I did, you know, five or six days ago, thankfully.
0: Ferguson versus Gaethje is like when you when it's Christmas and you get a gift and you're like, oh, I didn't know I wanted this. But now that I have it, it's pretty awesome.
3: Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's a matchup that was on the fans' radar for a while. It was certainly on both fighters' respective radars. You know, I think part of the reason why both guys were willing to take on a guy who is inherently a a really difficult stylistic prepare uh, is because they have envisioned taking this fight at some point in time. But yeah, I mean, it's bulletproof matchmaking for sure. Tony just does not get enough credit historically for the body work that he has put together, and certainly a Gaethje win would only further cement his Hall of Fame status. And for Justin, I'm really happy, given that he did start 1-2 and two in the UFC, that this is his reality right now because he is very much a championship fighter in the sports perennially toughest division. And I'm happy that he's getting a championship opportunity. You know, this three-fight winning streak for Justin Gaethje has had every style point that you would possibly look for to put him back on a championship trajectory. So it's a huge fight. If Khabib can't be there till September, this is obviously the fight to make. It deserves to have a belt on it. And as I said to Dustin Poirier, you know, when he beat Max Holloway and became the interim UFC lightweight champion, when you take home one of those new shiny belts at 155 pounds in the UFC interim or otherwise that belt's never leaving your house it's something that you're always going to remember and it's a tremendous accomplishment so hopefully tony and justin can sort of hang their hat on that because they're both deserving of an undisputed title shot right now obviously
0: it would actually be ferguson's second interim belt which uh that's right would make ufc but
3: first new one but first new one right he's got the old
0: one so yeah added to the collection for first style points like you just said um yeah with this fight though I, i think gaethje really lucked out almost that it got moved to May 9th instead of this coming weekend. Because Justin Gaethje, um, if you'll remember, last year was offered the fight with Ferguson that ended up going to Cowboy Cerrone. He turned it down because he didn't want to do uh, that fight on four weeks of preparation. Now with an interim belt, obviously the the stakes are higher, but with him getting more preparation time, I think that that swings the balance a little bit more in his favor, um, at least more favorably than it would have been if it was this weekend.
3: Yeah, I don't know that there's a great counter argument to that. I think it's a salient point. If Justin Gaethje came out and told ESPN's Brett Okamoto that he had 18 or 19 minutes of pure hell in him a few weeks ago or 10 days ago, I guess, at this point. In theory, he would have 25 or 26 minutes a more traditional Justin Gaethje fight camp and all that pure hell for Tony Ferguson on May 9th. So, yeah, I don't know that the extra preparation time is going to work uh, against Justin Gaethje in any way for Tony Ferguson He's an interesting fighter in all of this because a lot of fighters talk about peaking, and you've heard Henry Cejudo talk a lot about peaking for a date, and that's why for May 9th, that's an important date to hold for him. For Tony Ferguson, I feel like this guy is pretty peaked you 35, 40 weeks a year, so I don't know that the extended training camp is going to hurt Tony necessarily, but it could hurt a lot of guys, so... I definitely think it's an advantage for Gaethje that it's not happening April 18th and presumably is happening on May 9th. Either way, it's a competitive pick fight for me. I mean, Tony deserves the distinction as the favorite, but for me, not by much.
0: Well, it's funny. USC 250 is a nice round number, and um, at first it was not going to be the most— spectacular card on paper you were going to have sujudo right. versus aldo you're going to have nunez versus spencer now you've got uh Cejudo versus the best guy to ever do it at bantam your broadcast partner dominic cruz you've got nunez versus spencer still on the card of course you've got gaichi ferguson you've got ganu versus rosenstrike and now pettis versus cerrone has been added to the card this is an absolutely stacked card now with the number 250 attached to it but which of these fights are you most looking forward to just which one are you looking forward to just watching the most
3: Well, Dominic Cruz is truly one of my best friends. And what is so remarkable is that, and maybe not that remarkable, but I think for Dom and me, it's pretty amazing that I've never called one of his fights. Obviously, for a long time when he was healthy, I was working the secondary shows and I wasn't working the title fights. And then he's been injured since I've been promoted, you know, so I've never called one of his fights And I am deathly afraid to do so because not only am I so emotionally invested, but there's no fighter that I've ever talked about fighting more with than Dominic. I mean, hours upon hours in hotel rooms before and after shows, I've spent so much time with this guy. I don't worry about the objectivity in calling his fight, but I'm so happy for him to have this moment. And I have a great personal relationship with Henry Cejudo and Ali and everybody else as well, but I'm so happy for Dominic to hopefully have this moment that when he makes that walk, it's going to be so emotional for me that I'm not sure exactly professional how I'm going to handle it.
0: I had mixed feelings about him getting the shot, uh, given that the bantamweight division has been so stagnant for such a long time uh, prior to Cejudo becoming the champion. The only four guys that fought for the belt, I think it was over the course of three years, was Faber, Cruz, Garbrandt, and Dillashaw. Uh, And now you've got all these new contenders, and Cruz ends up getting the shot with a four-year layoff. But uh, I spoke to Sean Alshadi the other day, and he kind of sold me on it. I mean, I I certainly think Dominic Cruz is worthy of a title shot. He's the greatest bantamweight of all time. Uh, I just would hate to see that this... Uh, division ends up stagnating uh, again for some some period of time with all these new young up and comers.
3: No, it's a great point. I think big picture, hopefully we get a title fight of some kind on May 9th. Henry Cejudo against somebody. And I would certainly understand people who who don't believe Dominic is as worthy as Aljamain Sterling or Piotr Jan right now, which I think are the two guys that would immediately come to mind. You know, Aljo's not available right now. And I also think stylistically he brings so much to the table that it might be the most dangerous fight for Henry Cejudo right now. So when you parlay all of that together – Dominic Cruz certainly is not a tune-up fight, and he's got a lot of size, a ton of experience. To your point, he is the consensus greatest bantamweight of all time. Um, But would you rather fight a guy who hasn't competed since 2016 or a guy in Aljamain Sterling who looks as lethal as ever right now? Most people believe Piotr Jan right now might be the best bantamweight in the world, and I say that with all the respect for the champion Henry Cejudo. So bantamweight's loaded. I think as long as we get a title fight May 9th, the division will continue to spin forward. But to your point, that's absolutely the key because I don't know that I'm more excited about any other division's top 10 than I am 135 pounds right now.
0: You've talked about your pension for sports betting. You don't bet on the UFC, obviously, but right now there's no sports going on. Have you bet on anything weird over the last couple of weeks?
3: You know, I've been following it a little bit with the Ukrainian table tennis and some of the uh, the weird stuff that's out there. I think a lot of us NFL draft uh, diehards are excited for those prop bets because I've been betting NFL props for years, but NFL draft props, I should say. But for me, I had actually one of the bigger hits of my life on the Kansas City Chiefs to win the Super Bowl. And I went to Vegas and cashed that ticket, you know, March 8th, right around UFC 248. So I came home a little bit gun shy after a big score, just kind of wanting to lay back for a little bit and finally enjoying bringing several thousand dollars home to my wife, which obviously does not happen very often. So I was in a in a pocket where I was kind of laying out. So the timing for me as a sports better couldn't have been better. That being said, bro, as my friend, I would tell you this, when Major League Baseball resumes like that first day or whatever that sport is, I am going to bet like a degenerate. I will probably bet on every single Major League Baseball game. uh, I will go absolutely nuts when the games come back. But at least right now, um, the addict in me hasn't come out in a negative way without sports on the
0: board. Just take the overs when it comes back.
3: Yeah, that's not a bad thought. You know, I know Vegas was built on overs. And for me, generally, when I play totals, I, I am almost always on the unders. But I think that's a good thought, that uh, the pitching is probably going to take some time to uh, catch up to the
0: hitting. I mean, if I'm having the thought, I'm sure that the people that make those numbers are probably having, having the Right, there'll thought. be
3: some high totals. Yeah, you're right.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, the NFL draft, that's going to be interesting for uh, – are you a Patriots guy? I mean, you're from Boston. I would imagine you are.
3: Yeah, I'm excited. You know, I hope they can can find a quarterback or maybe position themselves strategically to trade up for for one. I'm not all in on Jarrett Stidham. I'm still holding out hope that maybe Cam Newton or uh, Jameis Winston will uh, come to Foxborough and, and give it a season under Belichick. But I'm definitely in the minority of Patriots fans who is excited to see what Tom Brady and Bill Belichick can do without the other, respectively. I think most Patriots fans are still bitter, uh, or just not bitter at Tom, but upset that that Tommy's gone. For me, though, I'm just excited to see what they can do. And I think for a lot of Patriots fans, we feel very spoiled with six Super Bowl championships. The regular season at times has been anticlimactic, you know, blowing people out during the regular season. I'm kind of excited to be an NFL fan whose team on a week-to-week basis could either win or lose. And that really hasn't been our reality for a decade. I hope that doesn't sound pompous. It's just been the way it's been. So I'm excited to see the ebb and flow of an NFL season, and, and hopefully there's uh, more highs than lows for the P-men, you know, in 2020 if there is a season. Do
0: you want to hear my prediction for their day-one starter or quarterback?
3: Oh, please. I'm all ears.
0: Jacoby Brissett.
3: Yeah, you know, I think that has legs as well, and I wouldn't turn my nose up at that. You know, I certainly would prefer that option over many of those that I listed, maybe even over Jameis Winston. I think a healthy Cam Newton would be fun, but yeah, Brissette wouldn't surprise me in the least, man.
0: Who are your all-time favorite broadcasters? Like, who who inspired you when you were becoming a a broadcaster and a play-by-play guy? I know you you did a lot of desk before and a lot of hosting, but uh, is there anybody from, um, you know, years past that you looked up to when you were a kid?
3: It was always Sean McDonough. You know, and it's hard for me to even mention anybody else in that conversation. You know, when he left the Red Sox, a lot of us locally were just so upset, and not the least bit surprised to see him go on to do Monday Night Football and become ABC's foremost guy on, on college football. He is truly the cream of the crop, and I got a chance to work with him at a Boston sports radio station very briefly. You know, I was doing updates on his show. But I had glorified him and put him on a pedestal for such a long time that to be able to walk into a studio as he's wrapping up a segment and do a sports update on his show, even though I only did it a few times, is something that I would never forget. And he corrected me on the air, too, because I said first ever. He said, you don't need first ever. If something's first, you never need the ever. So you'll never hear me, or at least I try not to say first ever when I'm promoting something or on broadcast, but a special broadcaster and I think a guy, too, who is funnier than shit, yet, you know, is able to have it come across in a dry way, but still stay in his lane as a play-by-play guy. I have a lot of respect for Ian Eagle and a lot of the national NFL guys as well, but Sean McDonough is certainly the guy that I've tried to model myself after the most.
0: You talk about your uh, identical tw- is an identical twin brother that you have? Yes. Yeah, he lives three blocks from you, so he, he decided to move down to Florida with you. What's your relationship with him like? I mean, obviously, having an identical twin is a very special relationship, but I'd love to hear more about your brother.
3: Certainly my best friend. He beat me to Florida, so he came down here in 2005 and opened up a a check cashing business with my uncle. So uh, I try to get him to Vegas, and I think had we gotten him to Vegas when I lived there for four years, we'd, we'd probably all still be in Las Vegas. I never wanted to leave Vegas. We'll blame that one on my wife. But no, there is something so powerful about being an identical twin, certainly in terms of my career. Uh, he he majored in musical theater, so he was far more the performer than I ever was. So to be able to bounce stuff off of him – I still don't properly use my diaphragm all the time on broadcast, but he's helped me a lot with projecting and, and trying to use my body and my diaphragm and my voice in the most optimal way. But when you have a, a living, breathing, walking human being who you share DNA with, it's, it's just a crazy, crazy thing. I think a lot of us with children – I know you have three kids – You see things in your kids as they get older, and they say things that you maybe are about to utter, and it feels very weird and and connective. And with the twins, that happens all the time. I can't tell you how many times we text each other the exact same thing at the exact same time. Or my mother will text us separately, and she'll say, you guys both wrote back the exact same text, the exact same characters. So a lot of that goes on. Um, but it is the greatest blessing in my life. Um, we've never really fought. We've never really been super competitive with one another, except, you know, in a one-on-one setting on a basketball court. Uh, but with respect to my wife and my kids, you know, the single greatest blessing in my life uh, is that man, you know, my twin brother, Jay. I don't, I don't know what I'd do without him.
0: Well, that's so interesting that, like, he did musical theater. You probably did journalism, but because he right. had the uh, the education and how to project and how to Utilize, like you said, your diaphragm and things like that, that he was able to help you in that regard with your career. That's so cool.
3: Yeah, I mean, I was always flying. I went to Gettysburg College in Pennsylvania. He went to Rollins in South Florida. My parents were always flying me down to see him in these major theater productions. You know, he graduated a semester early because he had accrued all of these major you know, major roles and moved to L.A. and tried to do the acting thing for a while. But no, my family was always sort of traveling around supporting him and watching him perform. So I don't know if irony is the right word. But uh, I mean, I just want to be a sports writer and then I want to be a sports radio guy. You know, I never wanted to be on camera. That was never my aspiration. I was at ESPN radio and they were auditioning some people to do some digital TV stuff. And so I was one of the guys that auditioned. You know, they thought I had a serious twitch the first time that I auditioned. But, yeah, it was always my brother and me kind of following his, in his footsteps a little bit. So kind of kind of weird the way things things worked out.
0: That's a really cool story. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot. Who's your favorite broadcast partner? Who's, who's the uh, analyst you most want to sit next to on a Saturday night?
3: You know, the easy answer would be to say one of the guys who I no longer work with, Kenny Florian and Brian Stan, right, because then I won't offend any of the guys that are currently doing it. There's definitely a special feel when Joe Rogan is there. Uh, DC and I just have a special relationship, and I and I think humbly that translates on broadcast. As I mentioned, Dom is is truly a guy that I have confided in and learned so much about the fight game from. You know, Paul Felder's become a great friend. It really is probably the hardest question you could ask me. I do think Stan and I were, were developing a, a really good thing in chemistry in a two-man booth, and I do miss the two-man booth at times because a three-man booth is an entirely different job in navigation for me. It really is, and I don't have too much time to go into the the real challenges, but – Basically, when I'm sitting next to Joe in D.C., Aaron, I, I really better have something sharp or thoughtful to say. Otherwise, I might as well touch my top lip to my bottom lip and wait for the promo. You know, whereas in a two-man booth, when the other guy stops talking, uh, certainly I'm a fan of letting the action breathe as much as possible. But there's only one guy who, who could chime in other than yourself, so it's a completely different setting Um But I hope Rogan does this thing forever, man. I'll close that answer with the fact that uh, he he brings a different dynamic to the broadcast. All all the shows feel bigger when he's there, and I I hope he does it forever.
0: I grew up watching WCW, and they had the three-man booth, the WWE or WWF at the time had the two-man booth. And the three-man booth is impossible to navigate sometimes, and you've really become a master at it. It's very People don't understand how difficult it is to be in your role in particular as part of a three man booth. And I just kudos to you for that because you've really done a great job of mastering that one particular craft.
3: Well, I appreciate it. You know, our sport is very unique in most sports. The play by play guy and the analyst have clearly defined lanes. If you're calling a football game, quarterback drops back. Your analyst almost never is going to say anything until the ball is released, if not caught and the player is tackled. And then the analyst has all this real estate to chime in with us. The action is so crazy in this sport that we're constantly crossing those lines. We have promo cards that are being handed to me that I got to try to squeeze in when maybe I'd like to call out a jab or a leg kick. So, again, you just got to learn to lay out, which in television means shut the fuck up, you know? And you have to be comfortable not talking, uh, and you have to be comfortable. You know, just letting your analysts take over, even if you haven't said anything for 90 minutes. So I'm trying to learn with every show. Certainly, I appreciate you saying that. But when I do go back to that two man booth, it really does feel like a different job. I'm doing the post fight interviews, and there's just a lot more, you know, that is put on my shoulders over seven hours.
0: Well, before we wrap, I've just got to say whoever runs the social media for your podcast, is I mean, they're all over the place. They're on this Periscope. They're tweeting me a couple times. They're one of the most wow. active accounts I've seen on Twitter.
3: Well, that's my man, Cody Merrow. Probably the best thing we've done for the show is make him our, our chief marketing officer. 26 years old, kid is sharp as a whip and uh, you know fills in a lot of the gaps that, that Kenny and I have left in our wake. So uh, thankfully, five years into this podcast, we have somebody at the controls who really can help us take it to the next level. So yeah, the kid doesn't skip a beat. It's just amazing when I think about Aaron, and I know you're younger than I am, but where I was when I was 26 years old. Right. I mean, like I'm talking like, all right, you put your right foot in your right pant leg. Right. Like I didn't know what the F I was doing. So uh, this this generation below us or two generations below us uh, or below me, I should say, uh, they certainly have their shit together.
0: Am I younger than you? When, when are you born? What year?
3: 1978.
0: Oh, yeah. I'm younger than you. <laughs> I'm younger than you. I thought you might have what been. A, I thought you guess. might have been let
3: an 80s baby. Let me guess. you 1985. No, I'm 82.
0: But I'll, t- right. I'll take 85, cool. though.
3: Yeah, eighty-two. All right, so yeah, you still got a couple good years before the big four.
0: <laughs> I told you I had a nine-year-old. So if I had a nine-year-old and I was born in eighty-five, I'm bad at math. So who knows?
3: Yeah, okay. I had I young? had my third and final kid ten days before my fortieth birthday. So uh, not sure what I'm doing. I'll be showing up to the kids' soccer games. They'll be like, "Oh, oh, your grandfather's here." No, that's my dad, guys. What are you gonna do?
0: <laughs> yeah, I wanted my uh, my drop dead date to be thirty-five, and I think we were thirty-seven when we had my uh, my yeah. last one. Yeah. Well, you know. Man plans, God laughs.
3: Yeah, I certainly wasn't, wasn't planning to run it back at 39, but uh, here we are.
0: Well, it's, uh, so, so you had a boy third, right? So you, we're the opposite. I had two boys, and then I had my, my girl at the end, and I'm so thrilled that I ended up having a girl, and you're probably in the same boat with, uh, with having a son.
3: Yeah, I mean that father-daughter is a special bond. Did you find out what you were having for the third kid or no?
0: Yeah, we found out for all three yeah
3: so we found out for the first two and then for the third one i was so convinced that uh it was another girl that we didn't we didn't find out so needless to say my siblings and i had produced six girls at that point and we were very shocked and and pleasantly surprised uh to see a little penis pop out you know we didn't expect that for sure and my mom is a diehard sports fan so to have a little little boy uh and he is very much that boy i mean he is just a a disaster uh right. and an accident waiting to happen at any moment, so uh we're happy to have him he's injected a lot of energy into the house and uh it's a new challenge too, like at my advanced age, Aaron, you know. Having a boy, I think, has made for a new challenge, and I think there's some, some newfound energy that, that comes with it, thankfully.
0: Well, you know, it's funny. I interviewed Conor McGregor, and when I interviewed him, he said, My son is such a boy, and my daughter's such a girl. And people were sending me all these comments about how stupid a thing that was to say. And I was like, No, no, <laughs> he's, he's right. Like, I, I have a son and a daughter. But what he's saying makes a lot of sense.
3: It is. They, their nature is what it is, right? And my daughters, one of them, is actually pretty athletic. But she hates sports, doesn't want a ball anywhere near her, right? And that is who she is. You know, She wants to wear makeup, right? So she is very diva, very girly. And uh, if she ever you know, makes a turn, I think she's got some ability. But she just wants nothing to do with it. And you know what? That's her nature, and that's okay.
0: All right, John. Well, I want to thank you for doing this with me. I really appreciate it. It's uh, great to hear your voice, and I'm looking forward to hearing it again in a couple weeks uh, when uh, May 9th rolls around if, you know, if this thing ends up happening. Hopefully it does.
3: Likewise, man. It's good to hear your voice as well. Congrats on all your success. And uh, hopefully I'm seeing you somewhere in the world, you know, May 7th or 8th before UFC 249. I appreciate uh, you having me on.
0: Absolutely, John. Take care of yourself.
3: See you, bud. All
0: right, I am live with Brendan Fitzgerald, uh, UFC play-by-play commentator, I guess, is the best best thing to call you. What's, do you have a title?
4: Uh, I guess I'm, you know, when, when I worked for ESPN, they just called anybody who was on TV a commentator. So, yeah, I guess commentator, you could say announcer, you could say, uh, yeah, just uh, all-around utility guy for the UFC production team.
0: Well, you'll probably be needed uh, sometime in the near future as it appears the Apex is going to be hosting a lot of events coming, uh, coming up in the near future.
4: Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed we can get back to it.
0: Yeah, so Dana White yesterday told uh, Brad Okamoto of ESPN that uh, the UFC is looking to get the show back on the road. May 9th, they haven't disclosed the location, but uh, in an article in Variety Magazine, it looks like uh, the apex is probably where this is going to be held. So uh, what are your thoughts on that?
4: You know, I, I'm surprised as anybody else, I know as much as anybody else who's uh, scrolled Twitter and read all the articles that's come out since then. But, um, you know, I thought that when 249 got canceled, the kind of a gut punch for people involved and not involved really people that just wanted to see it come back. I wasn't actually going to work that show, but I just really was ready for some live sports and, and uh, especially for what I love so much uh, the UFC and for us to get back to work. So um, when I heard that yesterday, I I thought that may was going to be our next target, you know, obviously The announcement when 249 was postponed was that all events were postponed indefinitely. I knew right then that uh, April 25th was certainly going to be postponed as well. And then after that, we didn't know. Um, In Nevada, as far as I know, our governor has had the state on kind of lockdown or whatever you want to call it since about St. Patrick's Day. And then he did 30 days and then he extended it through the end of April. So I knew that kind of May was the next possible time where we could um, get back to action. And uh, didn't know exactly when it might be, but um, you know, we'll see. Like, I hope I hope we can do it on May 9th, but uh, we'll just have to see uh, where the chips fall as uh, the the days and weeks continue to unfold.
0: You know, it's I've been thinking more and more about it because I've been doing a lot of radio interviews talking about the subject, and people bring up the MLS and they bring up the WWE, the UFC is such a different circumstance because you're not going to see people fighting two weeks in a row, three weeks in a row. It's not like the WWE where people are going week in, week out, traveling from a different city to Tampa every single week or Orlando, wherever it is, every single week. Uh, In, in this circumstance, let's say it is at the apex. You've got people that can drive into Las Vegas. I don't know how long it's going to take them um, or in some circumstances fly out there, but it it would be fairly easy to keep people at a distance aside from, of course, the competition itself Uh, during that time. Uh, and also to do tests on the individuals. But if one person gets it, you're not going to get a whole roster of people that get the coronavirus. Um, obviously, we don't want anybody to get the coronavirus, but in a circumstance like uh, a league sport or even the WWE, if somebody gets it, there's a good chance that it's going to spread throughout the rest of the roster, which wouldn't necessarily happen in the UFC.
4: Yeah, it's it's kind of strange. I was talking about this the other day. It's like, obviously, the situation sucks, but in a weird way, MMA and the UFC is like an organization and a sport that's able to deal with this a little bit better when we are able to get back like you say the the fighters are coming from all over and other than the actual one to one competition everybody else can kind of remain separate and then the fighters go back home and uh you know can kind of stay home and and rest up and and do all that um you think about a baseball team, you know, it's obviously they're spread out in the field, but then they're in the dugout and then in between games, they're on a charter plane and they're flying all around. The NBA obviously was quick to shut it down. They, they got the same guys kind of leaning on each other and traveling to different cities. So yeah, I think that MMA is a very unique sport. Combat sports are really unique where it's one-on-one part of the aspect that we love about it. And then in a situation like this, uh, it turns out, we might be a sport that's able to deal with a global pandemic a little bit better. And um, certainly we're able to pivot as a business a little bit quicker in terms of what we want to do, what Dana wants to do and then make it happen instead of if the NFL wants to do something, they got to get 32 owners on board. They got to get all the players on board and there are players unions. So there's just different elements of, of a bigger business, like those team sports that exist instead of uh, MMA where it's one-on-one it's a bunch of different fighters in, in different places that can kind of stay separate until it's time to just, uh, to, to get it going for three or five rounds.
0: Well, I think it's interesting because obviously it's different from city to city, but in most cities people are asked to stay home, to stay away from people, to only go shopping once a week. So people look at a sport and they think, you know, what makes the sport special? Why, why shouldn't everybody uh, in the sport follow those same rules? And I think that that's a valid point. Uh, But, you know, like we mentioned, it is kind of a different circumstance with the UFC compared to other sports. That doesn't necessarily mean that the UFC should be getting back. It is an ambitious date, May 9th. But uh, I certainly think that if things are done in a a safe way and that people are getting tested for the coronavirus specifically, that, um, you know, it is hard to argue if if states are going to be able to commission it, that uh, it might, you know, it's not something that will help a lot of the people that are at home perhaps having a, a real struggle uh, trying to find something to do and, and feeling really down that this could lift their spirits.
4: Yeah. I think uh, people are just looking for something positive, you know, and um sitting around at home with, with nothing to do and thinking negative and the things to watch being, you know, the news reports, which aren't always in the best of light. And, um, No, I'm not pointing a finger at the news media and all stuff like that. But the reality, I mean, I worked in the news business for a long time. The reality is they don't write articles and lead newscasts with uh, airplanes landing safely and cars that didn't get in crashes. So, you know, I think that um, people are like I worked the Brasilia show. Okay, so there was no fans in the building. And I had just gone through some of the world's busiest airports on my way to get there. And I was about to go on more airports on the way to get back home. And we didn't know a lot at that point. And there's still a lot that we don't know, but we certainly know more now than we did a month ago. And um, the stress of that weekend was just, I think, a lot with the unknown. But then as I've gotten back home, I stayed mostly home, but I've gone to the store a few times. I just got back from the store like an hour ago uh, or like 20 minutes ago. And um, the, the more that you kind of live in a day to day and you just go out, you know, take whatever precautions you can, but then you go home and you god willing you feel good and you can kind of deal with it um then i think that there's as we can kind of just safely get more and more of that so that the stress level goes down people aren't as afraid of something that um maybe we shouldn't be so so afraid of as we kind of bend that curve down a little bit and uh, hopefully we can get back to back to business
0: yeah but i don't think that it's necessarily an individual thing i think I mean, you and I, we're young. We're both in our 30s. Uh, I believe you're in your 30s. I don't think you're in your 20s or your 40s. Yeah. I'm going to just assume 30s. Uh, But if if one of us were to get it, it probably wouldn't lead to dire consequences necessarily. But uh, there's always the chance that we're asymptomatic and can pass it on to someone else. That, that I think, is probably the real fear among people that are on the UFC roster and people like yourself.
4: Yeah, probably. I mean, again, there's still so much that we don't know. But, yeah, like, uh, you know, my dad is 71. And... um, you know, would I want him to get it? No, absolutely not. Do I think that I could deal with it if I got it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think individually, we all just need to kind of like take care of what we can take care of. The guy who was on Rogan's podcast at like the front end of this thing advised, uh, I don't know if he was even advising that everything gets shut down. But he said, you know, if we're 50, 55 or older, or you have some health concerns, avoid large groups and uh, social distance. And then, you know, like, I think we can take as many precautions as we can while still living um so certainly like let's say you're 75 and you've had uh some health histories then yeah maybe you don't get right back out there and you hope that uh you can kind of isolate yourself and do what you need to do until things resume but um you know i don't know it, it, it there's there's no right answer obviously for for anybody everybody has their different situation and what they need to deal with
0: And I guess the individual responsibility falls on whether it's the fighter yourself to not be in the company of people that are that age for, I guess, 14 days after the event uh, just as a precaution.
4: Yeah. I think we all need to take responsibility. You know what I mean? Like if I had the chance to go in a couple of airports and then like stop in and and visit my family, my dad or, or my in-laws or things like that, then I'd probably be like, you know what, probably best to not do that. Um, so just, you know, take the precautions that, that you can take in your own realm, decide what's what those are and then uh you know, hope for the best as we uh, as we deal with it.
0: So they called you and said, Brendan, we're doing an event in let's say Florida on May 9th, and they we want you to commentate it. You have full comfort in doing so?
4: Yeah. Yeah, I don't I'm not really again, you said it, we're in our thirties, we're overall uh healthy people, at least, you know, I, I feel confidence in you know my immune system and kind of how I treat myself on a day to day and then even taking extra precautions and stuff. And I see a naturopathic doctor. So it's like I'm already the guy on the road that's like bringing oregano oil to uh, to to give myself some extra boosts of, of what I can do to prevent getting sick. Um, because obviously, if I'm sick, then the broadcast is going to sound bad, whether there's a pandemic going or not. But, um, yeah, I'm I'm ready to get back to work. And as long as precautions are taken, which I know they will be then, uh, yeah, I would agree to, uh, to getting back to it. I'm a big oregano
0: oil guy, Brendan. I'm glad to hear you. Are you really? That. I'm a big oregano oil guy. Right, yeah, man. I never leave home without it on the road. It's good for your voice, too, if you have a sore throat or whatever, as long as you have a mint afterwards, because otherwise your breath smells Yeah, you garbage. know,
4: like I started, you know, I um, it's, it's been kind of a short history of t- really taking care of myself on the road. Um, last year in Prague... We went over, it was February, so, you know, it's winter in Prague. It wasn't like the weather was horrible, but it was just like, I remember some people were sick, obviously, it's just that season, and um, I felt okay, Got had a super long travel to get there, some delays and stuff, so got there on Thursday night, Friday, I felt okay enough, we did the pre-show, I didn't, thank God I didn't do play-by-play for this show, I was on the desk, but uh, if anybody remembers watching that show in Prague, uh, if you watch the pre-show or the post-show... You know that my voice was so hollow. I I think I had laryngitis. I just could not talk. I I really had to kind of whisper almost on TV. And uh, after that, I started looking up like what to do to prevent that from happening. You know, make sure you're hydrated, like common sense stuff, but just like uh, things to do to watch out for so it never happens again. So uh, fingers crossed it never does. And it hasn't since.
0: Yeah, whenever I have that little tickle in my throat, it gets started. The oil of oregano gets gets. That's uh, right. But that's my mom. My mom. Shout out to my mom. That was a oh good advice.
4: There you go. (laughs) All
0: right. So um, you're you're fairly new to this. Um, you were doing the uh, the contender series. Um, tell me about how you got into this. I mean, you're 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 still fairly new with the UFC. You've done a great job, but your your knowledge base of MMA wasn't the same as a lot of others when you first started in the sport. So walk me through your history.
4: Yeah. So um. Laid off by ESPN, oddly enough, in April of 2017, they let go of a bunch of people, a bunch of on-air people. So it was like a news-making event. And it turns out that getting laid off um, in that fashion was like really one of the best things to happen to me in my career. There's just no getting around it. Um, In the moment and at the time, it was obviously a little scary because the media landscape was changing so much. It seemed like jobs were going down. In, in terms of numbers of, of people like me, sports anchors on TV, especially, you know, white guy with brown hair. There's a lot of us. So um, was laid off right when the UFC was starting to look for broadcasters for the first season of the Contender Series. And my boss now, Zach, uh, was keeping an eye on those ESPN layoffs because, like I said, there was like 100 people that got let go. And it was other people – Some analysts like Danny Cannell and some other kind of high profile guys, Ed Werder, at ESPN, like some of those kind of sports specific analysts and reporters, but um, also guys like me that were versatile studio hosts for the most part, a little bit of play by play experience. Um, There was a batch of us that were on the market all of a sudden looking for a new job as well. And so my boss kept his eye on who got laid off and they were holding auditions for the show um, in the coming months. And so he, set up a phone call with me, I think a week or two after I got laid off um, and said, we're going to bring you in for an audition that we have this, you know, basically we're, he kind of left it vague on like what they're looking for. He's just like, you know, best case scenario, you're calling the show this summer, but really we would just want to have a, um, you know, a roster of people that we might look to use in, in the coming years. They were just at a point where they kind of needed some broadcasters or a broadcaster at the very least And so got in for that audition, knew very, very little about MMA at that moment. I kind of had to crash course in it. But one of the strengths of why I've been able to do well in my career is because I've had a lot of jobs where I've had to like cover sports that I don't know a ton about. I worked at a college sports network for ESPN, so football and basketball. But then there was like a weekend every year where we had to do the volleyball tournament and then the hockey tournament. And then we had to do baseball in the spring, not big time sports. That people follow all the time, college volleyball and 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 stuff like that. Um, you know, I covered rodeos when I was in Wyoming uh, when I was just getting my career started. So, like, getting good at weird stuff is kind of part of the deal. Uh, fell in love with MMA though right away. Like, it's never been a chore to watch anything, even when I'm not working. I've said, you know, it's not the best to watch middle of the road basketball games, you know, in the middle of a college basketball season, you want to watch the top of the sport. Well, the UFC is the top of the sport. So it's like, I'll always happily do homework and uh, watch some stuff. And never in my life did I think I was going to like it enough to try jujitsu and continue to go back. And I've done that. So it's really kind of given me a new favorite sport in a weird way. And uh, though I haven't been following it for years and years, like others, uh, I'm a few years in, I don't uh, anticipate jumping off the train anytime soon.
0: I'm curious when you did the audition, who was your, your broadcast partner? Was it Felder? Cause you guys instantly had a very No, good it point. wasn't.
4: Now, nah. um, they put me and Felder together cause I think they thought we would do well together. And, uh, they were right. Love Paul. My broadcast partner for the audition was actually Eve Edwards who also got the job. And he was partnered with Dan Helly for the first season. Um, and obviously he's worked for PFL and UFC veteran, things like that. So he was my broadcast partner for the audition. Felder was actually not even there the weekend that I was there. Uh, he did a different audition, but uh, then when it came, came time to put in the crews together, it was me and Paul and it was uh, Dan Helley and Eve Edwards.
0: Well, that's funny. So, so it ended up being a switch.
4: It was a switch. I don't know who Dan auditioned with or who Paul auditioned. Paul, actually, I know auditioned with somebody different than Dan. So, yeah, they had, like, a abundant—they kind of cast a wide net and, um, you know, had meetings afterwards and, and figured out who they wanted. In
0: terms of the fights that are going to happen uh, when the UFC does come back, I mean, whether it's May 9th or not, the ones that are lined up, wh- which one are you most looking forward to?
4: I love that uh, Vicente, Luque, Nico Price rematch. I think both of those guys are in an interesting position. Still ascending fighters, I would say, even though Luque um, ran into Wonder Boy at Madison Square Garden. So, I just think that there's no chance that that's not like an all-out action fight from the second that it starts. Um, so, I really like that one. And then, you know, I, I've um, a Boston guy, so I've gotten to know Calvin Cater a little bit, and I've called a couple of Jeremy Stevens fights. So, Cater and Stevens—that's certainly one I have my eye on. Couple of no-nonsense, gritty guys who are not afraid to stand right in the pocket and uh exchange heavy punches i think that might be a might be a great fight in addition to obviously you know the title fights and whatever happens in a main event coming back it's going to be big
0: yeah that cater fight i'm really looking forward to so uh here's a question for you how does brendan have such a fresh haircut in a pandemic is one of the
4: questions so how about this right uh my wife cut it the other day it was getting shaggy i had like the sideburns that you could just pull out and like all over the place and I first in the in the thing I was like let's just cut it short give me a buzz we're gonna be off for at least like a month probably so I was like just buzz me down she probably wouldn't have liked that in terms of how it looked and so I was like whatever I'll just let it grow and I was just gonna let it grow all together and then the other day I was like I need something and she literally she just took the clippers on the sides and like you know if you really look closely like you know there's You know, not a fade professional. She's never done it for me before. She cuts our son's hair. He's four years old, and that's like preschool haircuts. Uh, Yeah, so I'm really thrilled with it. I mean, you know, it could be a little bit better. My barber is certainly safe in her job when, uh, when we get back to work, but I would go on TV with this appreciate that
0: yeah it looks good your wife did an awesome job <laughs> i'm worried about letting my wife cut my hair i've got the sideburns here you can see uh, they're starting to grow over the ear a little bit yeah I'll basically
4: i don't know it. she just did the clippers in kind of different stages and went a little bit shorter and then kind of fine-tuned it didn't really touch the top so it's like a little long on top but that's kind of how i like it sometimes anyway so yeah i'm, I'm a satisfied customer
0: well you'll have to show her a replay of this broadcast with that question i had it up on screen. <laughs> absolutely fresh haircut during a pandemic uh next yeah. question is uh any advice for someone who's just starting BJJ from uh, LA Carpenter 95?
4: Hey, all right. Um, I'll, t- I'll tell you, Saif Saud told me this, right? Uh, he said, stay hydrated. He was like, do not, like, don't mess around with the hydration, especially if you're an adult who's like not a competing athlete. Obviously, athletes are, are going to do that. But he was like, you're like six, if you're 20% dehydrated or 10% dehydrated, you're like 60 or 70% likely to get injured um so I'd say that keep going back like you're gonna get a little bit injured you're gonna jam a finger and it's gonna hurt for a little bit but when I started doing it I was just like man that kind of sucks but at the same time it's just like it means I'm doing something it means I'm learning and doing something and um you know but know when to get help like I had like my rib was hurting so I let it sit for like a week and then I went into my chiropractor and she's like yeah your rib was kind of twisted out of place so don't let that scare you it's like little stuff but um you're going to get it. Keep going back. You'll, you'll, you'll keep, you'll learn and you'll figure it out. Like, like there's no Eureka moment either. It's like all of a sudden I was like watching UFC and I was kind of like, Oh, okay. That's what they do. And then you step over. And if you do so, the first time you tap somebody out and you're just like, Holy smokes, it actually worked. I can't believe that happened. So train with people better than you. Then when you've a few months in find somebody that's new to, go against because then you can kind of not get your ass kicked really for, you know, five straight minutes or however long you're rolling and, and you can kind of try some of the things that you watch on YouTube. So yeah, just kind of pour yourself into it a little bit, do it when you can watch the YouTubes. The YouTubes are helpful. Like you, you see somebody doing a move and uh, go try it in class. And what do you know? It works sometimes. So uh, yeah, keep at it and uh, glad you're starting. it. That was one of the better things I did. It's such a fun workout. It's great to obviously in my job, to know the sport more and have a way more of an appreciation of grappling. Everybody can be enamored with big knockouts and head kicks and things like that. But um, once you start learning the fine art of what's going on in all aspects of the fight game, uh, it makes it a heck of a lot more fun to watch and be a fan.
0: Yeah. We can really sense your enthusiasm here with this, uh, this particular. Subject. <laughs> uh, so we got one more from the same guy, actually Brendan, when you're working with Bisping, which eye do
4: you look at? Oh my goodness. Come on. Actually like, so he has his replace his eye that's in, and honestly, you forget about it. Before he had that, you could kind of see one eye looked a lot different. Uh, the pigment was different and things like that. But now that he has the insert, I honestly forget a lot of times. I just talked to him yesterday on Instagram Live. Um, but even when I'm up close with him, even when I'm looking him in the eyes, I, I, I always know which one it is um, because certain, you know sometimes he turns different ways to see things to make sure he can see it. But uh, if you didn't know, you wouldn't know upon meeting him for the first time if you never knew about it.
0: All right. Another one. Uh, any advice for someone trying to get into MMA media?
4: I think you could give more advice than I could because I was like in broadcasting and got myself up to a network level. And then all of a sudden just fell into MMA. Like it was really lucky. Like I said, getting laid off by ESPN. If you asked me, do you want to get laid off? I of course would have said, no, I'd rather keep working for ESPN and get a new contract and, and have job security and, and do that. But, um, the layoff led to an opportunity in MMA that I didn't even know existed. A lot of people didn't even know about the Contender Series until it was a couple months away from happening. So uh, in terms of getting into MMA media, I mean, you know, you, James Lynch, the Canadian squad that you guys are, and uh, other people that just, they grind, man, they do constant interviews. The fighters in MMA are very, very accessible. So I'd say like, if you reach out to fighters on their social media and you say, hey, can you do a quick Instagram live with me or or an interview over the phone and just turn it into a podcast or just write an article, start a blog, like you can track down some of these fighters that are even in the UFC that aren't you – know, you're not going to call Conor McGregor, but look down the card on the prelims and just start that way, establish relationships with fighters and their managers and things like that. And pretty soon if you start a blog for free – And you start writing some articles, maybe you have some credibility behind your name and more people talk to you. And then you might get picked up as a freelance and then uh, you might get hired on full time. I mean, that's how I understand it works. But this sport is very unique in that you can do it individually. It's tough to cover the NFL and get a press pass if you just start a blog at home. But if you start a blog at home on MMA and you just kind of keep applying yourself to it and keep grinding and keep reaching out and don't get discouraged, then I think you can go far.
0: Yeah, and I, I think another big uh, point is the technology. Like everything that you're watching right now on this Periscope feed, the, whether, whether it's the graphics, the guest, the the camera switching, that's all me doing it. Like I don't have yeah. an extra set of hands. So you can learn right. the technology and it's all at our fingertips and it's inexpensive. You know, if you have a phone, you, you can learn so many different ways that you can utilize the phone, how you can improve sound. Uh, and the equipment is just so cheap. People are, people are spending whatever, uh, tens of thousands of dollars to go and do uh, broadcasting school, but you could just right. go and and take a crash course on your own. I mean, I, I have a jur- journalism diploma, so I'm not I'm not trying to discourage people from from going that route. But you can just go and become a journalist. Go, go cover events. Go cover news as it happens on the streets. You can even listen, listen to a police scanner if you want to. Go to a go to a, a crime scene and just start covering it. Just get experience, get reps. I mean, reps. I think yeah. are the most important thing. And even yeah. even on your on your end, when you're doing stuff at the desk, you're doing play by play. So much of it right. is just reps and practice.
4: I mean, yeah. Like I came out of school, Ithaca College, with a journalism degree, and uh, you know, Ithaca College has you know a uh, reputable communications program tv film journalism a lot of different things but i still didn't know hardly anything in terms of the day-to-day of what i needed to do and in terms of how to be on camera like um they can teach you all the theory you want in classes and stuff like that that meet twice a week but until you're on camera like every day doing stuff that's when you really learn how to do it and um obviously being in media in my position is a little bit different the road is longer i think in and, and uh different instead of starting a blog or a podcast but if you start a blog or a podcast first or a youtube channel and that sort of thing then all of a sudden you have things to show people that hire for bigger outlets or networks or, or websites or things like that And like yeah i'm sitting here looking at my phone uh i started a podcast with a recorder that cost me like 200 bucks on amazon and a couple of microphones and i just go and sit with somebody and i'm you know i'm just gonna put my phone in front of it and hit record so that there's some video to it and like you aaron i'm like a one-man band when it comes to my podcast but uh you know if you have the passion for it you have a little bit of spare time if, if it's not your job then uh you know just keep keep grinding make it happen and you'll just learn things i'm still learning things all the time on just my podcast on how to make it sound better and how to distribute it differently or make people find out about it and different stuff like that And i already you know, have kind of a name here and stuff like that, but I'm still learning every day.
0: Well, I'll, I'll just take something that you said, and I'll, I'll apply it to what we're talking about now. Everybody wants to do play-by-play, but not everybody wants to move to Wyoming and do rodeos.
4: That's right. <laughs> that's, that's, that's exactly right. There were some people we offered the job to up there that said, no, that was a kid in Long Island, and, like, he was coming out of school, and he had a good resume tape, and we offered the jo- him the job as a weekend sports anchor, and he said, no, he didn't want to move that far from home and live in Wyoming. And uh, he said, yes, originally. Then a couple of days later, he's like, no, I don't want to move out there. And we're like, okay. And then like a year later, you know, you don't have to go there forever. I had a two-year contract. I was there for like two and a half years. A year later, then when I was leaving the station, he applied again and sent an email. And he's like, hey, sorry, it's me. Like I'm the one who said no to the job last year, but... I'm still looking for a job and like, I'd love to take the opportunity now. I'm ready to move out there. It's like, I think, I mean, it wasn't up to me, but my boss was like, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to hire this guy and he could have already been halfway through living in Wyoming to get his start and then starting his journey. So yeah, if you want to, you got to do some different things covering rodeos in Wyoming and junior college basketball in Central Wyoming and all that jazz. But uh, man, you kind of, uh, get the chance to live a life that few can, and love their jobs like few can. So, so that's that's the upside, and that's that's like a lifetime of happiness if you can find that.
0: Yeah, I, I should have stuck with play-by-play. I love doing. I my my, uh, my one.
4: You can't, best... You know, you're not. Aaron, how old are you?
0: I'm 38. I'm done. Okay. I'm take me out the, Take me to the. Glue you're done. Through. You're just gonna hang it up. You got to do the rest, <laughs> and you got to do
4: the. Rest. I started jujitsu six months ago. I might I might compete in a tournament. I'm not gonna win any world titles. I don't think, or maybe I will. I don't know. But, uh, you know, Aaron, I was never into play-by-play. Did you know that? The UFC job is my first play-by-play job. You were doing desk before that, right? I was doing all studio. And before that, I was doing local news. Um, I did like four play-by-play basketball games when I was at ESPN. But they were all from our office. Like ESPN does remote broadcasts sometimes where obviously the cameras are there and the game is in uh, you know Lubbock, Texas. It was Texas Tech against Baylor. And I was sitting in a video booth with an analyst in Charlotte, North Carolina. And we were calling the game on ESPN too, I think it was. But um, so, yeah, so like I just had a few games. But uh, like I said, I've always kind of been versatile. And I think it's like the media business, you can just kind of fake it till you make it a lot of times. Like if you're a big fan of sports and MMA, you know how it should sound. So kind of put your own spin on it. But you know like – what a fight call should sound like or what a basketball game call should sound like so just try to like mimic it until you find your own voice and then you get comfortable at it but uh Aaron don't hang it up on that there's got to be some junior hockey leagues up there you can get into Yeah
0: probably when I was in my 20s I called a basketball game uh and it was the Florida Gators the team that had uh Kim Noah Al Horford oh, yeah. Corey Brewer yeah. they played my university yeah. and I I was already doing play-by-play <laughs> and I got to do play-by-play for that game so that was like that yeah, was my moment of awesome. the sun for play-by-play
4: that's great. Yeah. No, um, I once I started doing play by play, um, it's like it's like a drug and nothing else seems strong enough. You know what I mean? Like, I go back and I love doing the pre fight shows and the post fight shows and things like that. Like, there definitely is a cool aspect to that, which is basically what I did at ESPN halftime shows and things like, and highlight shows. But, uh, once you're the voice of a moment in the play by play realm, it's, uh, it is quite fun to be part of the event instead of waiting for the event to happen or recapping it after it's over. I mean, I still love it all. I mean, and my career is going to continue to change in different ways. And I'm probably have a bunch more different jobs that I didn't think uh, before it's all said and done. But man, the play by play has been a revelation in my eyes.
0: All right, let's take one more question that's on this topic. So uh, how do you guys combat nerves when speaking live? Is it the constant reps? Is it preparation?
4: Yeah, um, I found that I get nervous basically like with each new job. So like, obviously you're, you're nervous at first and then you kind of like, so Wyoming was my first on-air job. I was nervous my first day. I didn't think I couldn't do the job cause I already had some internship experience and a resume tape and I did it in college a little bit, but that was like my first paid job. You know, this is my profession now is to go on the six o'clock news every night and do the sports. So I was nervous like the first two days, but then you kind of sink into it. Then I got another job, my job after that, when I moved down to South Texas, I I thought I was going to be fine because I have two and a half years of on-air experience. But that first day I was super nervous and I kind of didn't figure out why I was still early enough in my career to not know why. And uh, I was like, well, I'm sitting next to different people. I have, you know, a different director in my ear and. It's a new studio and the graphics look different. Like everything's different. I mean, it's the same job, you know, what comes down to it, but, but everything else surrounding it is different. Where you live is different. Your desk is different. And then sure enough, you're like, that's just the, that's just the part. And obviously if you're getting another job, it should be a bigger job. So then after that, I was in Boston. All right, well now I'm from Boston. So my family's watching and all these people that I know, and it's a major market now and I'm covering pro sports. So then early on in that job, I was nervous and then I worked for ESPN and then it was like, oh, you know, it wasn't a huge assignment. I was on their college sports network doing a halftime show for a late night football game, but it was to a national audience. And I was like working with analysts all of a sudden, it wasn't just me reading from a teleprompter. It was me working with Jason Seahorn, who I'd watched on TV when I was in college playing in the NFL. So yeah, I mean, the nerves don't really happen on a, week to week or a show to show basis that you just knock right out. But the first time you're in a new role, um, the nerves can be there. I remember in Fresno, that was the, fr- I was super nervous for the first contender series. Obviously I was calling a sport I'd never called before. It was a very new show. Uh, I was working with somebody that I never worked with before. That was, and it was kind of an audition. I knew even for the people I worked for, like if I do well at this, then I'll keep working. But if I don't, they might just kind of move on. Um, and then in fresno i was really nervous i remember because that was my first full ufc card and i was feeling good and i was feeling like i did it over the summer and then like as the event got closer when it was like you know an hour two hours away from showtime i was in the arena i was like and i don't usually get super nervous i get the the rapid heart rate a little bit of butterflies and that sort of thing but i had to like sit in the corner and like close my eyes for five minutes and just kind of like re recenter myself because uh that was then on a national network and it was a big fight night card and uh you know so i remember that one too but uh it's not something that you should have if you're going to be a um a veteran broadcaster
0: i always say you've got to embrace the nerves like uh yeah i always compare it to driving a car when you're tired like you're on the road and if you see that you you can start to veer into the other lane sometimes if you're not paying attention and you've just got to get back into the lane like because you're live and there's nowhere to go you're either gonna fly off the road or you've got to get back in the lane so that that's how i I think i
4: I think the more nervous you are the more uh, likely mistakes are to happen you know i i think i put a little pressure on myself in that show in brasilia because i knew so many sport i think like there was like no sporting events happening everything else was canceled but we did that show in and empty crowds and we were on espn so i knew i had a big bigger audience and that it was a bigger show because it was this cultural kind of event where it was like the world sporting event for that day and I think because I thought too much of that over the course of those two days when I was down there that uh, I didn't perform as well as I usually do um, at least in terms of certain moments like you know I I wasn't as smooth as I could have been when we were on camera at the top of the main card and I just kind of stuttered over some promos sometimes and things like that And I think it was just like the nerves kind of probably played a part if you're not nervous if you're just having fun then you're just you're in the moment the broadcast a lot better you're not thinking about what could happen negatively you're just enjoying uh enjoying the positives of uh of a great gig you're in flow
0: state as they call it
4: exactly find that (laughs) flow state, man. every time i get in that airplane uh and and head off to a fight week i'm going into that flow state for sure
0: all right brendan i really appreciate this uh, hopefully I'll see you sooner rather than later, but it, that doesn't seem s- super likely at this point, uh, although I do hope that it happens uh, in the coming months. Uh, thanks again for doing this.
4: Hey, thanks, Aaron. I was ready to go up to Saskatoon, man, in June. It, was, it would have been the best time of year well, to go there.
0: You might still be able to, honestly.
4: Yeah, June 20th, I know, right? Saskatoon
0: is not out of the question. If you look at how many cases there have been in Saskatoon, uh, it's very... it's. Very very minimal. I think you can count death, deaths on two hands. Like it's it's been very under control there. Their government has done a, a great job, um, and Saskatoon people are very spread out. So it's they, they've gotten it under control. And by the time June 20th rolls around, I would not be surprised if there are zero cases ongoing in in
4: Saskatoon. That'd be cool. I just wonder if the, if we're not allowed to have large gatherings, um, if we'll if we'll take the show on the road. I don't. I really don't know. Obviously, I like the road aspect of it. I think it's it's very cool. Now it's. It'd be great since I live in Las Vegas, but going to different cities and seeing different parts of the world is, is one of the cool parts of the job. And uh, I just don't know though if, if mass gatherings aren't involved, will we go up to Saskatoon to go to an empty arena? I'm not sure the answer to that, but yeah, either way I'll be in Canada again at some point, And I love it every time I go. All right. Awesome, Brendan.
0: Thanks. Thanks for doing this
4: again. <laughs> thanks Aaron. Appreciate you having me.
0: A huge thanks to all of my guests and everybody who joined me this week. For some uh, great MMA content, that's uh, John Annick on the show, Patrick Cote, Charles Jordan, Brendan Fitzgerald. Really appreciate everybody's time, uh, and I hope that everybody's keeping well during this time of social distancing. Uh, if you missed some of the other segments from this week, I spoke to Sean Alshady, uh from The Athletic, uh, among among others, uh, and it's uh, always been a good time to catch up with uh, different colleagues and talk to others that are out. Uh, Working through this right now, through this uh, this very tough time in our lives, uh, generational situation, which hopefully uh, is a -a once-in-a-lifetime situation for everybody. But uh, it appears that the UFC is going to be back in action somewhat soon. I mean, May 9th is, what, three weeks away, so... Gives everybody a little bit of something to look forward to. It seems like April's going by fa- a lot faster than March is, so we can count our blessings for that one. Uh, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. If you want to reach out, at Aaron or on Twitter. Uh, my DMs are open if you want to uh, chat. If, you, you know, if you're down and feel like having someone to talk to, I'm I'm around. So uh, I appreciate everybody's time. And thanks for listening to another TSN MMA show.